Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. I've never seen someone covered Twitter, Instagram. Oh, my God. All day, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Pain! If you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is that right? Play, please. To nine. Now we had a guy doing this the other day. And then since that point, Spurs have gone transfer market crazy. We are going to bring you a very special show when news comes to us. But for the moment, we're going to try and keep calm, try and keep stable. And we will be coming back to you in due course with some hopeful breaking transfer news that we can't quite even believe here at the last one on Spurs. But we're here to talk all things Amazon. We're going to give you our conclusion as well to our thoughts on this documentary. But we have to open up with episode seven. And Chris, I'm going to start with you because episode seven opens up with the halftime team talk against RB Leipzig in the Champions League quarterfinal first leg 
in which the game is still deadlocked at 0-0. We see Ledley King actually involved in the squad as early as March and visible in team meetings after the defeat to RB Leipzig and Chelsea. And Jose Mourinho made no secrets about having built that relationship with the Englishman very, very early on. And we could hear Delhi at half-time who could be saying, play the ball, play the ball. We won't win playing football like that. Mourinho insists we want to win, but any result is a good result if we don't concede goals. He says the few mistakes we make defensively, we cannot make. The huge sacrifice you have to make is to keep the clean sheet and that has to continue. And the best way to win is to not concede goals. Every time we lose the ball, it doesn't matter where, it's a moment the opposition can hurt us. Now we know how this game ended. He goes on to say there is no time to be disappointed. The game is there to be won. Make the effort until the last effing minute. Chris, thoughts on that team talk in that game against RB Leipzig? We know how that game ended. What was your thoughts when you watched that documentary? I must say, Rick, um, that I've been highly impressed with Jose Mourinho's team talks. Um, you know, been v- really, really impressed with him. You know, you don't win the amount of trophies that he's won without giving, you know, really good team talks and making the, the players feel that they've got to go out there and perform and get results. But you know, at the end of the day, we were Champions League finalists back in 2019 and uh, we were looking to progress in this competition. And Jose Mourinho obviously wants to to win a trophy and, and, and put a trophy in the in the bank. So he is going to give, you know, a really good team talk to the players, you know, so they hopefully perform. But it, just, it didn't quite work out. Uh, you know, we had injury problems galore. And, um, you know, I think that he'd done the best that he, he possibly could. Um, you know, we went out to, to Leipzig in a 1-0 you know, down. It just wasn't to be, was it? No, it wasn't at all, was it? And interestingly, after that game, we do see the case where, you know, it's very much, you know, the situation where no Harry Kane, no Hummin Son is really hurting the team. And Daniel Levy insists it's always difficult for a manager to come in mid-season. He also makes the point that we were the large net spenders in the transfer market last summer. He says, sitting here today, Maurizio is no longer with us. Jose Mourinho is with us. We've had injuries that you couldn't believe. So many principal first-team players out. And he makes the point. We have underperformed to date. We are not where we should be in the league relative to the squad we have. But we still have 25% of the season left to play. And he makes the point here that we have a highly competitive team. We have to play with style. He says that we have to play with style. We have to challenge every competition that we're in to be the very best. Levy insists that Mourinho has been an absolute class act. He's obsessed with a positive way of winning, but he's come into a very difficult situation. Now, Jace, on this point, what I find interesting is that this is a period where Mourinho was under real, real pressure. Obviously, that RB Leipzig game was crucial to our season after what was a terrible run for the football club. What's your thoughts on Daniel Levy's defence there at that stage of Jose Mourinho's tenure? I love the, the comment that we've got away with style and... You know, from from all those team talks I've heard, you know, the the Leipzig one left me flat, if I was honest, because you think we need to score goals to win this tie. (laughs) Whether we score them at White Hart Lane or we score them out there, we need to score goals. You know, we scored, we conceded four to Manchester City last year. We conceded three to Ajax, but we still went through. So, you know, but you're never going to go through a tie if you don't score a goal. And without Kane and Sonny, I'm thinking we need to create more chances to give ourselves a chance to score, not not just sit back. And, you know, I, I was left feeling flat by that team talk that way round. You're right, you're talking at a period without Kane and Son. You're talking about the team then. I think the team there has lost a little bit of belief. This confidence is, is sapping. I think that, that was a much tougher tie than 
than I think people thought anyway, even with Kane and Sonny, Leipzig last year were a really, really good side. And that, that would have tested us. You know, I think they, that was a, a, they were probably a better side than Dortmund were the year before. So it was always going to be a tough tie. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of saying the things that I would expect him to say at that stage. And, and, you know, we know what happens with lockdown approaching and things like that. But, but no, I think it was a fair enough what he said. I'm, I'm sure I would have agreed with at that time. Lee, we then see following the defeats to RB Leipzig and Chelsea, Jose Muno tries to engage his players in a different kind of way than what he has done before. Mourinho explains to the players that he puts a video together of all the goals which the team conceded during the whole of the season at that stage. And the objective was yeah. to keep it going and going. He says one of you or some of you decided to switch it off and not watch it. Mourinho said he thought this was the funny side to it as he felt the players were running away from the things that were very obvious and the players must start to take responsibility. He makes the point, it's not about one guy, it's about everyone. And he tells the players to not take it personally. We then see him deeply analyse the goals conceded against RB Leipzig, telling his players to communicate and not allowing Deli Alley to leave mm. his position, obviously which resulted in obviously Ben Davis giving away a nailed-on penalty. Davis <clears throat> expressed... A- nailed-on. It was. Davis expressed his admiration for Mourinho and he says this is the kind of guy he wants to work for. What did you make, Lee, of the way in which Mourinho really did go into such detail of the observation and the analytical approach that he did there? Because some of the players, I personally felt they felt a bit awkward in that meeting. How did you see it? Yeah, I, I did as well. I thought they felt a bit awkward, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that they're, you know, it's a ch- it's a process of change and transformation, and and ultimately, you know, Jose's come in with a different mindset to Maurizio and, and actually trying to change the mentality. I don't think anyone would disagree with uh, with that we needed to change our mentality. You know, uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride type scenarios, and he's trying to change that. And I, I thought the analysis on Deli Ali and Ben Davis, and I thought it was excellent. I, I really, I really enjoyed seeing that side of it because you know, that, uh, you know, that's what we were screaming out saying as fans. You got, you got to be honest with yourselves when you're watching a match. You're actually looking at some of the mistakes that our players are making or not tracking back or whatever it might be, and we're the ones shouting at the telly or shouting at the, in the stadium. Why don't you track back? Why don't you? Do? And all he's doing is doing what we would be doing. Just, do, do, do you get what I mean, Rick? So I, I was quite, I was quite impressed with that. I also thought that the analysis on the. Um, uh, you know, don't don't concede. I see where you're coming from, Jay. Absolutely see it. But he was also looking ahead to the next game. Uh, sorry, the, the second leg. I think knowing in his experience that if you if you keep a clean sheet, you've got a chance to go away and nick a goal. And and with all them injuries that we had, um, you know, that clean sheet was was probably more crystal than than actually scoring. It would have been a better result to keep a clean sheet at nil nil than actually draw one one. If you know what I mean, as it as it happened, we lost it clearly. And and the way he's going out, he's he's saying, right, okay, keep clean sheet, keep focus, and then literally somebody switches off. They don't get the information. They don't do what they was meant to be doing. In this instance, it was Delhi. Now on penalty, as you say, and and it's one nil down, and all of that, all of that kind of uh, team talk, if you like, is is gone out the window. So regardless of whether it was inspiring or not, it was out the window as soon as we gave the penalty away. Chris, coming back round to you, we then see Mourinho analyse the goals scored against them at Chelsea. He stresses to the players there's a need to communicate. Alderweireld admits that under Mourinho, things are very different now in terms of how he wants his team to defend and to communicate and be very positive. He says if you want to achieve things, you have to work as a team. We then see João Sacramento get up and explain that the team are not showing the extra effort and are not helping out their teammates. Mourinho tells his players that they don't defend as a team 
and they simply play as if they're just playing out the match with no other desire than to simply play the game. After that interview, we see Mourinho say he's ultra-demanding, but he's trying to affect the player's state of mind. And then the episode turns to the academy. Before we come on to that point, Chris, I want to ask you again just on the team talks, because this is the first time in the documentary we really do see Mourinho analyse the players all together as a whole group. Would you have preferred to see him take some of the members of that group to one side, like we saw in the opening of him coming into the club, like he did with Ali, like he did with Eric Dyer, like he did with Harry Kane, rather than it being a collective thing? Or can you understand his reasons for doing the analysis as a group altogether there during that briefing? Well, let's start with um, with him analysing the Chelsea game. Now, he, he, he said, look at this first shot. He showed um, the Giroud goal. You know, it, it, um, it bounced back. Uh, second shot, bounced back. Third time, Olivier Giroud got that ball and put it in the net. He was very disappointed, said that you have to read the game and have to communicate. I remember being at Stamford Bridge feeling absolutely, you know, so disappointed because a London derby, Chelsea away, if the Tottenham players are not up for these types of games, then what games are you going to be up for? Because, you know, these are these are fierce rivals. These are the ones that the, the fans can't stand. You know, Chelsea away, Chelsea at home, Arsenal at home, um, Arsenal away. These are games that every single player should be up for 110%. Um, but going back to um, Jose Mourinho criticising, um, you know, some of the players, I would prefer to see it, um, you know, one-to-one. I think that when you're criticising people in front of other teammates, you know, in, in places like dressing rooms, in front of everybody, I don't think is is ideal. Um, I think there is a time and a place to, to criticise and to say what you could have done and what you should have done in games. Um, I feel that any of us in, in a work place would be very disappointed if our boss did that to us you know it's humiliating we saw it in one of the previous episodes Serge Aurier sitting there looking very very um, annoyed and upset and very confused that that has happened to him and I don't think that's probably happened happened to him in his in his uh, previous career so far um, but Jose Mourinho's got a style um, as I keep saying he's won trophies everywhere he's gone he's got this style obviously this style has worked for him in the past um, but then of course we've seen him have problems with players in the past as well and I'm just hoping that you know going forward um, some of the Tottenham players don't have a problem with the manager in, in this particular style. I thought that meeting was absolutely spot on I think you know when you're talking about the team as a whole not not defending properly. So he wasn't actually singling out on that particular meeting. He wasn't actually singling out an individual saying, Toby, that goal's your fault. He was talking about the whole way, the team. And th- this is where I think the Amazon documentary sometimes sometimes leaves you feeling you've missed so much. Because, as you said, that, that was obviously a session where he showed every goal we'd conceded through the season. And yet the only bit on that, that meeting that we see is is pretty much the... The, the RB game and the and the Chelsea game. So, you know, it, it would be interesting to know. I cannot believe that that every single player sat through that meeting totally silent. And and that's that's where I, I miss the things because at surely at some stage, be it Toby, be it Yan, be it Deli Ali, be it Harry Kane or someone will stand up and say, Hold on a minute, you know, I, I know you're saying this, but I have covered that run and I have done this. And, and that's that's where the, the documentary for me feels down because there's no way you know, a whole meeting to show every goal we've conceded lasts what twenty five seconds. It just doesn't do it, does it? So, but I think, I think you look, but you're missing yeah. so much of what you're not seeing as well. 
I, I think you're spot on, Jason. Just quickly on that, Rick, as well. I think that that's what Jose's trying to do, though. He's trying to get the reaction from the players to do that. So the fact that we don't see that leaves us thinking that the players are unhappy with Jose. Yeah. But, but, yeah, but yeah. they're not, because they probably are doing it. Jose's trying to get a reaction from these players to make sure that they change their mentality. He's already said that he wants them to kind of be more nasty on the pitch and that sort of stuff. And, you know, and swearing on whatever he does, he does at them using them words. But the reality is he wants to get a reaction. He wants J- Dyer to, to jump up or Toby jump around. Hang on a minute, I've done this. Or Kane to say, come on, let's just pull it in. We saw Kane a couple of episodes ago saying, this is all about the team. You ain't pulling your weight properly or whatever he said. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think it is. You know, like you say, it's selective editing. Maybe I said mm. that right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, when we started reviewing these uh, these documentary, the documentary. You know, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be left on the editing floor. All we can do is comment on what we see on the screen. But like you say, I can't believe that some of them players would just sit there for 25 seconds, be completely silent, and just go and then go back to the cafeteria and have a cake or whatever they do. I just can't believe <laughs> that. They've got- do you get what I mean? They've got to have some energy about yeah. it to get up and say, yeah, you're right, or no, you're wrong, or come on. That, that Jose wants him to be, come on, let's win together. He wants that. Yeah. So and, that's what he's trying to get that, out of them. That's, where the edit, that's right. That's where the editing is tough, because obviously it's, you know, I haven't commented on one to, on episodes one to six, but you could feel in the build-up to that home Chelsea game how big that game was to Mourinho. The fact, coming in the dressing room, Chelsea are shitting themselves. We're only six points behind. We're only three points behind. And then we lose that game in an absolute stinker of performance. And he just walked in the dressing room and said, never mind, boys, in three days we go again. <laughs> There's no way that was the only reaction from him, is there? So that that's where the, the series, I love the series. It shows us more than we've ever seen. But you sit there and you think, there's so much that we're not seeing. But, you know, fairness, they, they can't show every minute of every day because you just can't do that. So, Chris, let's come round to you because the episode then switches to the importance of the academy. Daniel Levy explains in 2001, the club was going to embark on two massive projects, which was the academy and the stadium. He makes the point in saying that the academy was important to the club to have a production of players. The idea that every year you can go out and spend tens of millions on the players is just unsustainable and that is where the academy comes in he says he wanted to deliver a world-class facility to attract and train young talent and that's how you get those players into your first team one of those players graduating into that first team was harry winks and we see both Mourinho and daniel levy in the canteen sitting there over food both agreeing just how much harry winks has improved and the amount of the ground over that period Wingsy then explains how his dad was a massive Spurs fan, how he went to White Hart Lane when he was young with his dad to watch Tottenham play against Middlesbrough with seats on the halfway line. He then goes on to explain how his dad taught him everything he knew in terms of the game of football. And when he was younger, his parents played a massive influence in helping him get to where he was today. We then see Wingsy, along with Gary Mabbott, visit an old people's home. Wingsy then captains the team for the game against Wolves and rallies around the team before kick-off telling them to press from the very start. Be aggressive. Would you quite please, Chris, because I know you've got a story about Winksy, that it was nice that he got his own little section in this documentary. Absolutely. I, I love to see um, you know players like this, where they started off at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club as a very young boy, and then to make it through to the first team and then to captain the, the side. You know, it's just uh, you know what dreams are made of, isn't it? 
Um, but I, I, I quite often go to a lot of the youth games, under 23 games. And, you know, when Harry Winks was coming through, um, me and my son, Harry, was sat at one of the under 23 games and we were actually sat next to Harry's mum. And um, as soon as I said my son's name, Harry, she said, oh, another Harry. She said, oh, my son, Harry, is out on the pitch, Harry Winks. So we sat and, you know, watched the game of her for the 90 minutes and, you know, all these little gems, you know, stories that she was coming out with, you know, what Harry uh, Winks can eat, what he can't eat, what he's allowed to do, what he's not allowed to do, um, how Tottenham, um, you know, really influenced everything that he has done as a, as a young boy right up to, um, to manhood as well. And, um, you know, it was a, a really wonderful story. And he used to, you know, she, she told us stories that, he used to go with his dad to White Hart Lane to watch uh, Spurs play. And, you know, it was great. And then even after the game, um, Harry Winks' mum took us uh, so my boy Harry could meet her Harry. And, uh, you know, it was a really lovely uh, evening that was. Um, but it's just always great to see, you know, these young players coming through. Uh, you know, we've seen it with Harry Kane. We've seen it with Harry Winks. We've seen it with lots of players. So, you know, the board and Daniel Levy and co have done a, a fantastic job with the academy. And, uh, you know, Daniel Levy is totally right. You know, why why spend tens of million pounds on players when we have got such an excellent youth system with all these great players coming through? I know we've seen lack of investment in recent years, but when you've got academy players coming through like that, you know, it's always great to see. Chris, I'm laughing because when we say about tens of millions of pounds, what we're about to do in very, very soon, unless that goes completely wrong, um, it, it yeah. just goes completely against that theory. But you're absolutely spot on. You're right. You know, there's always been... It's a balance, though, isn't it? It is a balance, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, Lee, can I ask you yeah, just on this point? Balance, mate. On the documentary yeah, sure. itself, next part, we see Mourinho, this Wolves game at half-time, telling the players they've been fantastic. You know, we're ahead, we're in control, we look very good. But he says to them, look... We have made mistakes, but we need to kill these mistakes, the little mistakes. He warns them that Wolves are a very fast team. They are always going to cause us problems. And he makes a point in saying, in terms of position, we cannot be caught on the counter-attack in transition. He makes that point and reiterates that point during that team talk. As we know, Spurs went on to lose yeah. that game against Wolves by three goals to two. It was our third defeat in a row in what was seen, I think, that game to be a huge blow, a massive blow to Tottenham Hotspur's chances of qualifying for the Champions League. So it was two second-half goals, as we know, that really did put us under the cosh and put us in an impossible position to come back. We then see Deli Alley was absolutely fuming at full-time, storming into the dressing room, and this is where we see Deli Alley and Eric Dyer's friendship really put to the test. Now, as the scenes show, Ali comes in and he says, how the F did we lose that? It's every effing game. They are the worst goals I've ever seen. Throwing his shin pad then on the floor, he then says, same problem. Maybe at this point, Lee, I think Dyer maybe feels a bit targeted. And Ali's a close friend of his, so therefore yeah. their relationship, it's a decent relationship. They can talk to each other maybe how you wouldn't talk to maybe someone that you're not as close yeah. with. He turns around yeah, and says sure. to him, Del, why are you saying these comments? Because nothing changes, Ali replies. Dyer then says, we'll put a name on them then. It's a backwards and forwards as we see. And, you know, Dyer says... Got, if you want to name the whole team, go for it. And I think Dyer then really accuses Delhi of acting like a bit of a spoiled kid. And it's eventually brought to an end by Jose Mourinho, who said he was actually pleased to see the pair arguing. As a Spurs fan, and I know you love both Delhi and Dyer, did that make you feel slightly uncomfortable to see them arguing? Or did you secretly love to see the players getting that angry about a defeat? It wasn't secret, actually. I, do, I love it because it shows that they are, um, that they are, they do care. 
Um, I think that Delhi, to be fair, could have probably showed his frustration in a different way. I, I never really thought about it the way you just you described it. Yeah, it was, did, did Eric Dyer think that he was having a dig at him? But actually, when you think about it, he's going worse con- uh, goals conceded. Sorry, uh, you know he's blaming the defence. Eric was playing in them positions, so so maybe maybe it was a slight dig. But I, I love Dyer's reaction. Like, well, come on, then put a name on it. Let's talk it out. You know, how many times must that happen in a dressing room, week in, week out, everywhere? I mean, you know, that again, coming back to the points that we just made before, I think that's what Jose Mourinho, I don't think that would have happened under Pochettino. I don't think Delhi and or Dyer go at each other under Poch, but they're going at each other a little bit more under, under Jose because he's bringing that mentality in that you should be caring and should worry about losing, you know, not, not get depressed, not, not dwell on it, but you've got, it's got to hurt you, right? unless you are hurt, you don't feel like you're, um, uh, you know, maybe you feel like you can't improve. So actually by getting hurt, and I always say this, right, you've got to go through real bad times in, in, in life or in business or in sport or whatever in order to, uh, to, to to get to the good times. And I think that, you know, that that for me highlighted that that side of, uh, of the players. I mean, I think that, you know, Delhi coming in and just making comments, he needs to maybe be a bit more mature, but he needs to be a bit more, um, constructive with where, where them comments are going. It's okay coming in and pointing the finger and making a, a, a valid criticism, yeah? But but don't come in and just, you know, just wait, make wild accusations about, you know, this and that, you know, without putting, like, like I said, put a name on it. Let's have a talk about it. You know, let's get it out in the open and then we move on. And I think that's what Jose wants them to do. Jace, coming over to you, we then see Mourinho says he spoke with Jao Sacramento as he was analysing the game and wanted to know from him why he thought we lost the game. And he explains to Jose, it's because we're two good guys. The first action of the game, Ruben Neves clatters into the back of Lucas. They make a foul to stop a transition. In the last minute, we then see Dendonka go through the back of Lacelso. And Mourinho emphasises to the players that because they couldn't make a foul to stop transitions, that's why they lost the game. He tells his players they need to be more nasty, they need to be more clever, and they need to make the foul. He says, I think you all have a very bad feeling right now. You can all go home happy with your individual performances, but this game isn't about individual performances. It's about the result, and we lost, and we effed it up. And in two days' time, you're going to need to come back here again. You're going to need balls because we're going to have to go through it again. At that point, Jace, you know, are the players receptive to what he's saying? When I'm looking at the whole picture at this point in the documentary, are the players buying into this concept of the nastiness that Mourinho wants them to apply? They're halfway towards it, or there's some of the way down there, because you know that's we we've already seen how how Winks takes advantage of Zinchenko yellow card, didn't he? So some of that message has gone into some of those players, but you know changing the whole mentality, changing your habits of a lifetime, don't just don't just happen overnight. I, you know, I thought I love to see the argument. I thought the fact that Jose, the the time that Delhi and Dyer were going at each other, he just sat. With his arm round Delhi, as if to say, "Yep, come on, you two, you two have a go." And whilst whilst Dyer said was saying, you know, name names, Delhi was writing what he said that it's the whole team. What's the point of me naming all eleven players? And I think Delhi did make that point. We're losing it as a team. It's not just individual errors. So, but I think those arguments will happen. Let's let's be fair. This is this is where I think when you watch the documentary, you, you have to realise it's not a sport to them. It's their job. 
Lee will have had an argument with somebody in his company where, where you've gone backwards and forwards. Chris will have had an argument like that. I've had an argument and you'll have an argument like that because that's our job. And when somebody's not doing their job and it's a, it's a, whether it's the sales director in a, in a, in a sales force or it's the, the bus driver that's always late when you're, when you're a team of bus drivers, those arguments happen in every walk of life, in every job. And I think that's, that's when you realise this this isn't just a, a fun game for these players. It is their daily livelihoods. And so I, I totally welcome the argument. We then see Deli Ali come on the camera and he says, I feel like every game we can win and we should win. You can't get this far playing in a team like Tottenham without being a winner. So when you lose, it's very difficult to take. Dyer then explains he finds it very hard to switch off from a defeat as he's constantly over-analysing his own performances and whether he could have done better. He says... We've done very well together as a team, so we now expect to be up there. And then it switches back to Deli Ali, who says, it's a very tense place to be when you're not challenging. People always used to say to me when I was younger, there are no friends in football, but I feel like my teammates here are my family, and I would call them all my friends. We see that spat come to an end. Dyer goes on to say he has a very good connection with people off the pitch, and he feels like, from his perspective, you know, he gets on with guys so much better in terms of those very, very close teammates. And I just wonder, Chris, you know, we are hearing news at the moment that Deli Alley potentially, I have to use the word potential because it is only rumours, could be leaving the club. How does that make you feel personally? Because with Deli Alley, we've always championed the fact that, look, he's young and we genuinely believe there's a player in there. But over this last year or two, I have to be honest that I personally have been frustrated by the lack of development and not seeing Ali reach that high, high level, which I really hope would be the case under Jose Mourinho now. And if it was me personally, I'd give him another another year. I definitely would. What's your thoughts, Chris, when you watch this documentary and you relate it back now to potential rumours of Deli Ali leaving the club? I've always been a, a huge Deli fan. I always think that you know we're going to see Deli Ali at his best again in the future. Um, but will Jose Mourinho, as the manager, get the best out of Deli Ali? Is he his sorts of is he his sort of player? Um, we know that Jose Mourinho, you know, has been told or, or been um, branded many times as a checkbook manager, and he goes out and buys players that you know fits his team. Is he going to develop Deli Ali into a top class player? We saw the conversation in episodes one to six where he was in his office. Jose Mourinho said to him that you know it's up to you now to to go away and and you know realize what you want to be are you going to be a top class player are you going to be a party boy you know it's it's all down to um you know what Deli Ali wants but I personally hope that Deli Ali doesn't leave um because I think that he is a, a great player for the future and I still think that you know that there's a lot of very good matches in him and uh, it's just a question of whether Jose Mourinho wants him whether he can use him and uh it'd be, it'd be interesting but I'll be disappointed if he goes I think we're all feel, Chris, that there's just something more that we never saw from Delhi, And that'll be the most biggest shame if he does leave this transfer window. I still can't believe I'm saying that. I know we're, we're only really going by reports and we hope we're wrong. I think many people out there, though, there's a lot of split amongst Ali. I have to say that I'm really surprised just how much Ali splits opinion. I was surprised. Just very quickly, because yeah, we've, we've got to do this documentary. Was, Lee, yeah, very quickly, yes or no, would you sell Delhi Ali? I think I know the answer. No chance in hell. No chance, no chance. The guy's going to beat every midfield record there is going. But I keep seeing Lee, people go back to you and say, it's, when? When is that going to be, Lee? I, that's why I keep, when I see you well, say that, when people say when? He's 24, people, listeners, he's 24 years old. But Give what, him a break. what, at what age then, Lee? At what age, Lee, does he have to deliver? By the way, after, 
he's, he might deliver this season. It might, it might be next season. I think he's delivered. If you look at his career as a whole, what, rather than just taking last season, he's delivered. And he's, mm. he's continued delivering. People saying that we can't play in the Jose Mourinho um, formation. Since Jose's come, he's played a 4-2-3-1, which is exactly the same formation as what Poch played. You know, yeah. with, with the rumours that we're talking about now, I know we're doing uh, the Amazon documentary, but with the rumours uh, going around at the moment that we might be signing Bale, well, well we are signing Bale, right? Let me tell you that. Right, he's coming. You've got a front three of Son, Kane and Bale. With a if he plays a three, you have a whole Hoiberg sitting there and then you have a Deli Alley and a Celso attacking. Or, or, or a Deli Alley and a, um, and a Ndumbale. Or a La Celso and an Ndumbale. Or a, um, an Ndumbale and a, and, a, and a Winks. Or a Winks and a Deli. I mean, Deli is a Frank Lampard waiting to happen. He don't have to play all the way up the top on Kane's shoulder. Um, he, was the best, he was the best creative player that we had against Everton and he got hauled off at half-time. And I think that that may be because of some of the rumours. Maybe maybe the chairman come and said, "Round with Judah in for Deli Ali, you got to pull him off." And then obviously that that, that didn't that didn't materialise. But I, I get frustrated, as you can probably tell, passionate about about them. The, the fact is that Deli Ali is world class, and we will regret. Like we we all banging on about keeping Ndombele, as Jason said, old uh, you know five bellies or whatever. But Deli Ali's <laughs> proven. Proven Premier League quality player, and he's only 24. Sorry to waffle on, no chance, and we should be selling Deli Alley. Just to finish up on this topic, because we've got to do the Amazon doc, we have to do this. We've been trying to do this all week, guys, honestly, on the last one on Spurs. It's been absolutely crazy. We've got to fit this in. Chase, to come round to you, Lee says they're Deli Alley world class. I have to disagree with Lee. I wouldn't say he's world class. I'd say that on his day, Deli Alley is a very, very good footballer. Yes, a couple of years ago, for me, he could have been world class. But I still have to be proved now a lot to see Deli Ali have world class in that bracket for him. Do you agree? I wouldn't say he's world class yet, um, but then my, my my vision of world class is probably higher than most. But but for me, I mean, you asked the question of how long do we have to wait? Well, we've already seen it with Deli. We haven't got to wait. We've seen it. And and for me, when Deli plays at his best, he's playing off of Kane and he's getting on to the end of those fantastic balls that Christian Eriksen's putting through. You're seeing him in a period where he's not playing with Kane, particularly at that on that point of the documentary, and there's no Christian Eriksen to 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 find him with a through ball. So it's as simple as that. The only time Delhi played like that under Jose was in those first few games where he played right up alongside Kane and was free to make the runs. and And I get the impression, and the, you know what I'm like with the, the style. It's that we're so preoccupied with being caught on the counter attack that the times Delhi would make the run and not worry about what's behind him, he sees Ericsson with the ball and thinks, I'm going. That he's not any longer making that run because if the ball doesn't come, we're one man short to be counter-attacked against. And it's the mindset of what he's being asked to do. For me, Delhi Ali in the Delhi Ali role, is a magnificent player. But when you see him play for England, for instance, where England have Sterling and Rashford alongside Kane, Delhi Ali looks a, a poor England player. And that's why he's not in the England squad, because, again, he's playing deep and he's not able to make those runs right up alongside Kane. If you think of the goals Deli Ali scores, nearly all of them are kind of six-yard box goals, aren't they? When he gets an assist, it's a, it's a quick one-two, it's a quick flick-on. It's not the eye of a needle pass. And I just think Deli Ali is now being judged as what he used to be, but he's no longer playing in that role. So, for me, Deli Ali is a magnificent player. I, wish we, I wouldn't, wouldn't consider selling him. But I understand if Mourinho's not going to use him in that way, then you start to think, well, then we're not really seeing the Deli Ali that we know. 
Jace, just sticking with you because I know we've gone off topic. Just going back to the documentary as we try here to finish off episode seven. We then see Yao Sacramento sitting down with Yan Batongan and getting advice as to why the team are conceding so many goals. He explains from a Sacramento perspective that all the hard work over the last couple of weeks has been for absolutely nothing when the team doesn't get a result. Now, Jace, for me and you now, our worst game of the season. We see Michelle Vaughan being given the chance to play against Norwich City instead of Paolo Gazaniga by Spurs goalkeeping coach Nuno Santos. We then hear Eric Dyer ahead of kickoff telling the players to be aggressive with Jan Vertonghen giving the captain's pre-match rallying cry. We see Mourinho at half-time tell the players that normally in our worst moment of the game, we can see goals. This is the time now where we need to cope with the difficult moments of the game like we have done so far. He says, let's try to kill the game. If you don't score and the goal is not coming, do not concede. If the difficult moments come, you cope with the difficult moments. And Jace, as we know, we didn't cope with those difficult moments. We fell flat on our faces. We went out to the cup to Norwich City. But what was very interesting for me there, Jace, is on that game, <laughs> there is a specific point of that game where he's saying, don't force it if we don't score. And that's the first time throughout this documentary, which has been edited, as we've said, that there hasn't been the discussion about pressing high. It was that game where we just felt as fans, we were just sitting back and allowing Norwich to take the game to us. Yeah, well, the, the first thing that, that I drew from that was, we, we presumed that it was a, a question of, well, Vaughan's the rotation goalkeeper. But when you saw the discussion, I, I mean, I don't know about you boys, but I genuinely got the, the feeling from that. They dropped Gazaniga rather than just rested. I think they genuinely picked Michel Vorm over him, not not just as a rotation exercise. That's, that was the impression I got from it. But then you're right. Why why the hell are we saying in the difficult moments against a team that are bottom of the league coming to a stadium and that have left Timo Hukey on the bench because actually Norwich aren't bothered about winning the game. They've got a, a more important game against, I think it was Burnley, on the, on the following Saturday to come. So why the hell are we talking before it's happening about difficult moments coming. Give the players confidence, inspire, go forward. There shouldn't be any difficult moments in the game. It's Norwich, for God's sake. Chris, coming round to you, Eric Lamella shows his frustration in the dressing room as Spurs are knocked out of the FA Cup. And then as we see the never-before-seen footage in the dressing room of the aftermath in which there's an incredible spat between Eric Dyer and a Spurs fan after we go out on penalties. And it really shot the footballing world at the time as Eric Dyer climbed over seats to try and get to a fan who was shouting abuse in front of Dyer's family. He was actually banned for four matches for the incident, though Jose Mourinho defended his actions. In episode seven, this is the same episode, we see someone go to Dyer and say, your brother is here. Eric Lamella then asked Dyer what happened. Dyer tells Lamella, as more teammates walk in, I was looking for my brother in the stands and there was a guy a couple of rows in front of my brother and was going like this. And he gestures the swearing. Two rows below my brother, that's where my mother sits. That's where my sister sits. That's where everyone's family sits. And our parents have to stand there too and have someone two rows in front of them gesturing, swearing. I mean, that night, Chris, in general, it was just an absolute farce for the club from, you know, the, the fan perspective, from going out of the cup. I mean, what was it like, Chris, to have to relive that once again, that awful experience yet again? Well, it started in the pub an hour before the game when I saw that lineup come out, Michelle Vaughan. And I know I'm sorry to come back to it, but Michelle Vaughan hadn't played a game for 14 months. To put him in goal 
Um, you know, I was really excited when Jose Mourinho joined Tottenham Hotspur Football Club as manager. I thought, right, finally, Tottenham are going to get some silverware. We are going to put some trophies in the bank. I get excited every single year. I always tell myself every year, have done since 91, when Gary Mabbott last lifted the FA Cup for us, that Tottenham are going to win the FA Cup we this year. You. And I'll do it again. I'll do it again this season, right? Yeah. When when that team lineup come out, Michelle Vorming goal, you know, I was in the pub and I read the team lineup out to about 20 people and no one believed me. No, not one person believed me. They thought I was having a laugh. And then when I showed them my phone and said, no, that is the lineup. Nobody could believe it. Walked into the stadium, spoke to a lot of fans and said, you know, what on earth is going on? Is Gazaniga injured? What's happened? Blah, blah, blah. None of us could believe it. And then, of course, you know, it's, it's hard to blame one person, but he just looks so shaky. You know, hadn't played a game for 14 months, as I said. And uh, it was an awful decision by Jose Mourinho. And that was the first time, really, where I was questioning Jose Mourinho as a manager, thinking, well, if he's not taking the FA Cup seriously, surely that's why he's here, to, to put a trophy in the in the cabinet. Yes, we had injuries galore. But as Jason said, very negative um, team talk. And up to this point, I'd been you know, very impressed with Jose Mourinho's team talks in the dressing room. Um, but... That that night was just so disappointing. And then you just think back to last season, you know, really low points, going out to Colchester in the, the League Cup, the, the fashion and the manner that we went out to Norwich. You know, Jose Mourinho sat there in, uh, in his seat, you know, weren't even really bothered about the penalties. That That's what really gets me still to today, that the fact that he sat there throughout the whole penalty shootout and didn't get up, which I thought was very, very strange. Um, other low points in the season, Brighton away, you know, losing 3-0. And, uh, you know, this was a, yet another low point, really, really low point in our season. Um, and then, of course, Eric Dyer, you know, doing what he did. Um, you know, Tottenham were just in the limelight for all of the wrong reasons yet again. Um, you know, was it right what he did? You know, only, you know, I, I don't know whether it's right to say that he, he, he was right to do that or not. Um, but we all get criticised, you know, as with them being professional footballers, they're going to be criticised in all games, whatever they're doing, whether they're performing or not, everyone's going to criticise. So, um, you know, perhaps it wasn't the best to do. Chris, did you think Gazaniga was dropped or just rested? I agree with you, Jace. I think that um, Gazaniga was actually dropped when I saw that. Yeah. Um, but at the time, at the time, I thought... He was well, rested, yeah. Yeah, I thought Jose Mourinho's just giving Michelle Vaughan a run out. You know, 14 months without a game, it's a, it's a bit of a dodgy decision. But, you know, why would you why would you make that? And it just proves that, you know, and even in that game as well, during the second half, the FA Cup draw had been made and we were going to be playing Manchester United. I remember saying to people next to me, we're going to be playing Man United at home next, next round. You know, so confident that we were going through. As I say, I tell myself every year we're going to win the FA Cup. And then the just the, the fashion, the way we went out of that competition. I'm always so annoyed every time that Tottenham go out of a cup competition. That night was no different. Lee, just to finish on episode seven, we see Mourinho after the game say, I think Eric Dyer did something that all professionals cannot do, but in these circumstances, I think every one of us would do. He then goes on to make the point that the players did everything they could under the circumstances, due to the injuries they have in the squad. Now, I mean, Lee, as you know, at this point, we were down. We were we were really down. I mean, as a team, as a fan base, sum up your feelings, Lee, just on the finish there of episode seven. It was four defeats on the trot by that point, wasn't it? And Jace mentioned earlier about confidence, and we've said it so many times on this pod, uh, and that's such a basic thing. And I always caveat by saying confidence is always a basic thing, but 
it is so basic, but it's so important. I think we were just going in there. I mean, I, I cannot believe that, that Michelle Vaughan was picked for that game. And, and I don't think he could. I mean, you know, when you look at that, when you look at his reaction, like Chris just said, 14 months out of game, he's almost kind of going, well, I don't think I'm ready. Uh, it was it was a bizarre situation. Yet again, Tottenham and on two managers, I hasten to add, have used three goalkeepers in one season. I, you know, I'd like to see the stats on this. I don't think any other teams do it. But Tottenham seemed to use three, three goalkeepers. I wanted to check Vorm's contract to see whether he had to play at least once in the FA Cup. Um, you know, because you know, it was just bizarre. You know what I'm saying, Rick? But look, episodes, it was the start of the run of defeats. The winter that we was going to see was, was going to start to really hit home and, and take its toll. And it was a low point. I agree with the guys. I'm absolute serial winner. I'm convinced that we're going to win something with Jose. But yet again weird decisions and and just a lack of effort or energy just feels it just feels weird you can't put your finger on it I was hoping that the Amazon documentary would would give us a bit more of an insight into what that happens but then you fast forward to Everton at the weekend and it was the same lack of energy lack of you know Jose does point them out like to to give him a bit of credit he points out the key things uh, you know you know tactically we'll find out in episode nine that he points it out with the Manchester United game for example and he's, he's virtually bang on the money against Wolves. Don't get caught in transition. Bang, get caught in transition. I mean, you could not make it up. Like, so, but, but something's not right. Something wasn't clicking. And then, of course, um, you know, this is the run of, uh, of uh, horrendous injuries that are about to um, still plague us uh, over the next kind of few games as well. It is indeed. Well, there you go. That was episode seven. We are going for a break. When we return, we're coming with you to episode eight. Do not go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. We're finally here providing you with our review of the Amazon documentary All or Nothing, episode 7 to 9. It's taken us a while to get this on record, so thank you for persisting with us. Jason, to start with you, episode 8 opens with Jose Mourinho telling the cameras what happened to us this season since he arrived at the club was impossible. Since he did arrive at that point, 12 points to the top four was too big. He managed to shorten it down to just a point and then no Harry Kane, then no Hummin Son. He says, when you try to adapt without that special player, you find a balance. You then lose another one. So you lose the solution that you found to resolve the problem. Mourinho then explains that without injuries, the team would be sitting third or fourth and also in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. He says, we now have to face the coronavirus situation. We have to be ready. But it's come at a time in his career where he feels ready to face the problem. And we actually see at this point only fist bumps from the players being used around the training complex. We see Hugo Lloris, Deli Alley. The team is still alive in the Champions League. And for the top four and how the players want to win every game and how things don't always go your way. But you have to be confident that the team will turn things around. We see Michelle Vaughan try to explain to Steven Bergvine the threat of Burnley and what they can provide. And physio Jeff Scott tell Jose Mourinho that there are a few players to keep an eye on ahead of Burnley. He says, Deli Ali, Giovanni Lo Celso, Lucas Moura, Ben Davis. He warns, they all may be difficult to play. And what, at that point, with Ben Davis on his lineup, he tears off his sheet, bins it. I mean, Jace, what's your thoughts there with physio Jeff Scott breaking that news to Jose Mourinho? Yeah, you get the impression that Jeff Scott is the he's the most disliked person in the club, don't you? He, he kind of 
it doesn't even sometimes look at him. It's like, oh no, is this man again? Here comes more bad news. So <laughs> I just think if if Mourinho could get rid of one person, it would be Jeff Scott. But um, <laughs> it just made me laugh. And then and then obviously we 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 see them. You know, uh, Geo can can probably only do about half an hour, and Lucas can only do about half an hour, and then. We know full well what happens with uh, with your baller from from Barcelona or whatever. So um, and, and they have to come on for forty five minutes. But you, you get the feeling that we're 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 in big trouble then. And but but for me, there's there's still enough to to be able to try try to do something different. I can remember Burnley, didn't we go with Tanganga, Dyer, Vertonghen, Alderweireld? We have we basically had a back five of all five centre halves, didn't we? I forget where the team was at Burnley, but it reminded me of watching Stoke under in prime Tony Pulis era. Five centre backs with that's right, Vertonghen and Tanganga played as the wing backs. But um, you know, I suppose if you're getting all that medical information, that it was a case of who have I got left to pick, and he went with that. But but yeah, I mean, Jeff Scott just every time Jeff Scott walks in, you can just see Mourinho think, "No, please, can you stay out of my office?" Chris, coming around to you, we actually see emphasise the point from Jeff Scott. They explains if players are in your position and they're injured, then you are required to play more frequently in your position, and that gives little rest. We see Lacelso at this point actually being treated by physios, and he tells Jose Mourinho, "You can count on me against Burnley." To which Mourinho tells him he will try and give him 30 minutes towards the end of the game, along with Lucas, as he wants both players to be fresh for that Champions League second leg quarter final against RB Leipzig. Then the episode turns to the dressing room again ahead of Burnley. We see that dressing room rallying cry of ready to fight, guys. We have to be a better team. We have to be better players. Get on the back of the winning ways and come on. We know what happens, Chris, during this match. At halftime, Jose Mourinho tells his players, don't give up. We need to win duels. We need to recover the ball. You cannot make defensive mistakes. Get that kind of spirit where you feel everything is going against you. We need to attack. We need to score. We need to win. Press higher. We need to push the defensive line up and keep the spirit. We have to keep the spirit and we are going to start fast from minute one. And we see Chris Spurs go on to draw that game in which we drop to eighth in the table. Seven points off at this point, fourth place Chelsea. Mourinho then tells his staff what we did yesterday bringing those two players from the bench changed that shit. Before we go on to that point, the game itself, Chris, the manner of the performance, did Jose Mourinho's half-time team talk have an impact like you wanted it to against Burnley? Absolutely. I remember being at this game and at half-time, all the Tottenham fans were booing the team off because it was that bad. It really, really was bad. The first 45 minutes were absolutely awful. There was just such lack of creativity, um, lack of everything, lack of effort, lack of everything. Um, that team talk certainly did something. And, you know, after that game, Jose Mourinho actually said, my team was fantastic in the second half. I wouldn't use the word fantastic, but it was a lot better. And, uh, you know, we salvaged a 1-1 draw, which actually was a good result um, at the end of that day because, you know, when you're going up to places like Burnley, you know, you want to win. You want to come home with the three points. Um, but that first half was absolutely abysmal. Um, but yeah, Jose Mourinho um, done it again. But I just, what really baffles me in a lot of these team talks from Jose Mourinho is some of the players I, I felt anyway watching this documentary is that some of them are just listening to Mourinho and it's literally going in one ear and out of the other. You know. It's, it's 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 quite evident to see that 
they're not really doing what Jose Mourinho has asked them to do on the pitch. I know it's a completely different style. I know it's difficult, a new manager coming in and a new style um, altogether. But really, you've got to listen to your manager, especially one who has been there, won it, you know, and got the T-shirt everywhere he's been. Um, but but Chris, Chris, just to, so just quickly on that, is, is it that they're not doing it or is it that they can't do it? Do you know what Perhaps I mean? Is it, is it because they haven't got... Do, do you get what I mean? I, I think that's the bit that I'm trying to work out. Is, you yeah. know, do, do we... Have we all thought that we've had better players than we've actually had and P- Potticino getting a tune out of them was just like magic man because that's what he yeah. is? Or, or, or are they not listening? Do you know what I mean? Or is it a bit of both? What, what do you think? Perhaps it is a little bit of both. And that's why Jose Mourinho now is reshuffling back, you know, getting rid of a few players, getting new players in and, you know, all the talks about Gareth Bale coming in. Um, you know, that would be a, a fantastic sign and a real statement. And, uh, you know, that could get Tottenham a top four place for sure, you know, if Gareth Bale came back. But, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, Lee, if, if I'm completely honest. And, and I do agree that a lot of us Tottenham fans, including myself, probably think or probably have thought in the past that some of these players have been better or are better than than, than what they actually are. Um, but it was a really good team talk by Jose Mourinho. And I've no doubt that he was you know, very, very happy at the end of that game because he probably felt that they did listen to him in the second half. And as I say, we salvaged the point in that game. Jace, coming round to you. Mourinho then goes on after that point in the episode to say what we did yesterday really did change that shit. He said, when I arrived here on the Celso, I didn't believe he could do it. He looked like a shy kid. Then little by little, the guy changed my mind and I started to give him the opportunities and he has transformed himself into what he is today. Now, it's funny because at the beginning of the arrival of the coach, he didn't get a chance to play, but he felt that he always knew if he trained hard, showed what he could do, then he would always genuinely believe that he would get into Jose Mourinho's plans. I know, obviously, with Tungi Ondombele, he's yet to do that, yet to convince Jose Mourinho. But is that quite, in a way, Jace, quite fascinating, the way he makes his minds up on players very, very quickly, doesn't he, in terms of if they're going to you know, be right for him or not, and the fact that, you know, Lo Celso actually changed his mind? I think probably all managers, when they go into a club, I mean... <laughs> regardless of who the manager is, you always hear them saying, oh, everybody's got a, a fresh start. But but I, I would imagine with him, particularly the amount of time he spent in English football and then he was a Sky Pundit and things, he would have seen enough of those players. He would have played against Tottenham enough times to think, I know what Kane can do. I know what this player can do. I know what they can do. So, yeah, of course, he will go in to a degree with those preconceived ideas. But then somebody like Lo Celso, he, he hadn't, well, he may well have seen play on TV or on his odd scouting mission when he's watched other players. But but I can understand his suspicion and thinking, look, when because, you know, you've got to think when you go into a job because the club is failing, you will go to the players that you honestly believe and try and, and, and trusted players, aren't they? So, you know, we may well be seeing the, the switch around now between a Lo Celso and a, and a Deli Alley. But it, it doesn't surprise me that he had those views of, Lo Celso when he, he went there. And let's be fair about it. I mean, Lo Celso himself had spent much of the start of the season injured and, and unable to play. So, you know, but but I think it's it's pointed that he was making the, the comments in that episode and it was the Burnley game where he really let his frustrations about Ndombele come out in the, the after-match press conference, isn't he? And, you know, you and me will go backwards and forwards on an Ndombele, Rick, and I'm just thinking listen to what he said to Lo Celso and apply the same to Ndombele. And one of these players is applying himself and one of them isn't. And that's why one's in the team and the other one isn't. It's it's as simple as that. And yet 
Burnley was another game where they gave Ndombele the chance and he's taken off after 45 minutes. Mm. Yeah, very true. We then see the announcement of Steven Bergwijn out for the rest of the season. So we see that point and then it switches to the briefing ahead of the game against RB Leipzig in which Jose Mourinho outlines to the players his plans, how they're going to play and he says the point that he tells Lamella, Lucas and Delhi to press the opposition higher. We have to be aggressive with the ball. He makes that point really affirmative. We have to be aggressive with the ball. We then see the episode switch to a board meeting with Spurs chairman Daniel Levy, Donna Cullen is there, along with some other board members. And Levy is speaking about releasing the club's latest financial statement in April and the way it will be received. And he says, the problem is that we're issuing this financial statement when we're not doing as well as what we'd like to be doing on the pitch. What we feel should be a positive result in terms of the statement, in terms of what we achieved last year, feels like it's going to be forgotten, which is a little bit understandable. But I think we have to put it into context that clearly the stadium opening has got to be something we draw out. Getting to the Champions League final, regardless of where we are today, is still an incredible achievement. He says, the profit for the year, June 2019, based on this number, 147 million. The profit for the year to June 2020 is likely to be a lot lower than that, isn't it? And he says that to Matthew Collicott, who is Spurs' operation and finances director, who responds, well, it definitely will be unless we get into the Champions League final. And we all know what happened there. Levy then goes on to say that clearly, if we finish in a lower league position, we've lost the TV money, the media money. And he says, I think we need to see what it looks like and decide whether we put a bit of a warning out there this year in terms of the numbers. And you can see Levy is very conscious about the way in which this statement has been delivered. And it's funny because I know a lot of Spurs fans, when the club release any kind of financial details, it doesn't ever go down well. The timing is always poor. And it's also revealed by Collicott at that point that the club's business interruption insurance does not anticipate the pandemic. What did you make, Lee, of that board meeting there with the advisors? It's typical to have a board meeting like that, to, to, to be honest. Um, it felt a bit staged, if I'm honest, uh, in the actual documentary. Um, it felt like that they were just picking out, again, we don't know how much they filmed of it, um, a, a lot of the, a, a lot of what goes on in the board meeting is is for board meeting eyes only. So even though it's uh, you know all access from Amazon, you can argue with the fact that why he's saying them and is he just trying to like make himself look good or whatever. But but the reality is that you know we were the biggest net spenders with uh, you know uh, during that period of time, and and, and 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 us fans would have would would have forgotten that. So um, yeah, I, I mean I think it was a little bit staged, Rick, if, if I'm honest. I just wanted to highlight the, the, the Bergie injury as well, because after every single injury that we had, and then just to go and get Stephen Bergwijn, who, who I think has been a brilliant signing for Tottenham Hotspur, then he gets injured as well and is out for the rest of the season. And you just think, where is it ever going to end? Um, and it was, it was a t- again, another nail in the coffin of Tottenham season. We then see focus turn into RB Leipzig again, where Mourinho tells his players before the game, don't be nice. It doesn't matter what happens. We need to score two goals. Believe, believe, believe we are going to win this game. We fast forward, Chris, and we're two down at half-time. And Jose Mourinho tells his players they make mistakes, but they have no time to speak <laughs> about them. We've got no time. Make it up, I know. He says, make it we're I going mean, to speak about losing 3-0, Chris, and we need to find three goals to win this game. We need to find the three goals. Three goals in 45 minutes is difficult but it's possible. And if you don't change the result, and if you don't score three goals, we die. But we die effing fighting, not like scared kids. You have to go out there like guys that go out and give everything to the last second, leave 
everything on the pitch. We need a strong mentality. We need big balls. And Chris, to be fair, that second half performance, from what I remember, there wasn't many big balls on show. There was no balls at all. It was absolutely awful. I tell you, absolutely awful. Again, another low point in our 2019-2020 season. Um, another cup that we went out of. And I remember before this game, Jose Mourinho come out and said that all of the Leipzig um, substitutes would all get in the Tottenham starting 11, which uh, I was very disappointed for our manager to say that about our players, because if we were a Tottenham Hotspur player, you know, how, how on earth would you feel about that to, to, to think that a Leipzig uh, substitute would just take my place in the team? Um, I love Jose Mourinho's team talks, but sometimes when he says, you know, certain things, it's just, it just doesn't go down too well. But uh, yeah, the Leipzig game was a, yeah, another, um, another blow in our season. And at that point, with all of the injury problems, we didn't look like we were ever going to score a goal. We didn't even look like we were even going to get in there half at times. Um, it was just such a low point. It really was. You know, injuries galore, gone out of all of the cups. Um, it just, like Lee said, you just thought, when is this ever going to end? Mourinho says after the game how the club is in a moment of transition. He says, I want to try and change that mentality. I want to try and transform the mentality in this dressing room. And this is something that normally comes with time and doesn't come with a click of a finger. Jace, your thoughts on the way in which Spurs approach that game against Leipzig, now being able to see that team talk at half-time. Does anything surprise you by the lack of effort and application, bearing in mind just how much Mourinho was really trying to get these players rolled up for that second half and we didn't see much. Again, don't don't take this as a as a criticism of him, but I thought he's he's saying the right things, but I don't think anyone, including himself, believe what he's saying. And you know, we were so flat, you can understand those players. By then, they're thinking, hold on, we've got to go out and score three and a half where there's no Kane, there's no Son, there's no Bergvine. I mean... You know, let's be honest, we were all stunned that we did it in Ajax with, with decent players on the pitch, let alone being able to do it again with, without the, the main players on the pitch. And I never had a problem. I kept saying to you last year, don't I? It wasn't the results. It was the performances that, that my anger was at rather than the results. And, you know, if we were giving that team talk, we'd be sitting there, come on, boys, we, we'd just get one and we're back in the game. But there's a difference between saying it and there's a difference between believing what you're saying. And, and I and I and I don't mean that in a critical way of him because, you know, I, I'm sure he didn't. He would have been thinking this is this is a miracle that we absolutely need. But but I can't I can't just put it in that way. So in fairness to him, it was a team talk I expected. But I think those players by then knew, particularly in the way that first half had gone. I mean, Leipzig were were miles better than us, weren't they? It, 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 whereas, I mean, at least in the Ajax game last year, even in that first half in Ajax, we'd actually had chances in that first half. Remember where Sonny and that hit the post. So, you know, th there would have still been belief if we could get one against Ajax, who knows what can happen. But you just looked at that Leipzig game and thought, we've played 45 minutes against them, or 90 minutes against Tottenham at, at, at White Hart Lane and, and we haven't laid a glove on them. And now we've had 45 minutes here and we haven't laid a glove on them. And... You know, and we've now got to score three goals. No, it's it's impossible. And I think, you know, a lot of players' heads were down and it wouldn't have mattered what he'd have said. There was just, there, was, there wasn't going to be a lift for any of those players then. I'd have played the the, the hat-trick from Lucas Moore at half-time. I'd have said to him, lads, uh, most of you, if not all of you, was at the at the semi-final last year. You've done it. You've done it before. 2-0 down, one, uh, you know, scored three goals in the second half. Have a look at it. Get some hairs on the back of your neck. Come on, you know you can do it. 
playing different type of football on the front foot, watching the video, they would have gone out there pumped. They would have gone out there pumped, thinking, bloody hell, yeah. You just reminded me that we have done it before. Are you with me, lads? I, I would have played the. I would have played the video. I would have played the um, the, the, the the crucial moments against Ajax and said, "Go on, lads. You done it last year. Draw on your experience. You can do it again." But it was a flat team draw, and it was a flat performance. It was indeed. And then we see the arrival of COVID nineteen and the subsequent lockdown certainly ramping up things even more. And what is immediately noticeable in this documentary is just how well the club inside did well to deal with the pandemic maybe outside you question in terms of you know the breaking down of the rules lockdown that is but from regular team meetings with the players to open up the new stadium to the NHS I think as a Spurs fan us in general I think that made us quite proud to see that and you know the documentary also shed light on the mental impact of the virus and we actually see players and staff reacting to the lockdown and Mourinho telling Levy that the scariest thing for him is the, the more mental side of it and if we tell the players to stay at home, it's going to be a disaster. They lose everything. And then we get to see the reaction of the players to the news of the Premier League season facing the potential to be scrapped. We see Harry Kane telling teammates Liverpool will be gutted. Upon their arrival back to training in May, once restrictions are loosened, we hear what the players got up to during their time off, with Dele Alli expressing his amazement of just how easy it was to cook baked beans. He said two minutes. I didn't realise how easy it was. We see Daniel Levy explaining the biggest thing is to try and give clarity to the players. And we see Harry Kane actually request an actual staff meeting with everybody in which we do see the club give a very thorough rundown in terms of what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it. And in that period also, we see Spurs donating food to the Felix Project to deliver fresh fruit and veg. We then start seeing the likes of Sonny, Kane, Bergwijn return to training. We then get the breaking news of the Premier League returning. And then we also see preparation for the game against Manchester United with the club also backing the Black Lives Matter campaign. And then Lucas Moura admitting he's scared of hearing Jose Mourinho shouting at the players during an empty stadium. And I think at this point, Chris, you know, our excitement kind of was restored. We almost forgot the last two, three months of just how awful football was. And we genuinely believed in ourselves that we could actually achieve maybe, I say maybe, top four. It was quite a crazy couple of months, Chris, both in life and in football, wasn't it? Absolutely. An awful period, um, you know, during COVID-19. But it actually worked out pretty well for Spurs. You know, if that's the right way of putting it. Um, you know, we've got all of our players back. Harry Kane come back, Hunmin Song come back and co. Um, it was absolutely brilliant in that respect. Um, but what a weird time for all of us. What a weird time for football. Um, you know, still six months on now, uh, still not allowed back in the stadiums. It, is, it has been a very, very weird time for us all. Um, but Jose Mourinho, um, you know, and all the players had the belief that we could finish in a European place. Of course, we got that European place um, for this season, for the Europa League. And I think that's very important for Tottenham, you know, going forward. But um, if you think back to the nine remaining games that we had, um, I thought we'd done, you know, fairly well. The style of football completely changed. Um, but, you know, with the amount of points that we got, you know, we 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 got that European place that Jose Mourinho wanted. So it wasn't a bad um, period of time for us in the end. The fascinating part, as, as we were saying earlier about, you know, you, you realise it's their jobs, was was before the, the lockdown came and, and Kane, uh, Kane wanted a meeting where he was saying, oh, we don't think the players should be should be here and and that's when you realize they were having the same conversations just the same as, as everyone in their workplace it was it? it was interesting to see that going to the club saying look we're not actually comfortable now being here 
and um, you know you could see them all using the you know the gels and things for lunch and and I forget who was the who was the lady that then addressed the the issue or things but Donna, I think it was Donna Cullen Donna, Donna Cullen, Cullen. Wasn't yeah it was Donna, right? it was Donna. Yeah. Yeah, it was Donna. yeah but I, I thought that was fascinating to see that that that's when their yeah, thoughts are just like every single employee in what in in every single business and that was fascinating to see Kane spoke up didn't he and talked about the families bit as well it was like what about our families you know putting up so yeah. again it just again it humanized them didn't it that, that's yeah. the best way to summarize that it humanized them to go actually they are the same as us they're not just on this pedestal um you know and, and different they are just normal human beings yeah i agree i thought it was a good bit and also in fairness just the the jose i mean give him give him credit there his his mind as soon as it came to it is right what when's the next fixture how do we keep these players fit we can't let them go away you know it was there was there was no time to process they'll be off it was very much with him that's that's when you you perhaps understand the, the, the detail of planning that goes into Premier League or, or football, but to, to see him immediately go into preparation mode, when we're next playing, is it three weeks? Right, and he, I think he crossed the fixtures off, didn't he? Off his, off on his yeah, pad. Yeah. Right, that's, that one's gone, that one's gone, right, there we go. And he's, he's immediately looking at the, 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 the calendar on the wall, planning sessions, and, and that's, that's, you know, that was fascinating to see as well. Lee, coming round to you to end this episode, yes, we mate. see Jose yes, Mourinho tell his players at half-time against Manchester United to close the spaces. He warns the players to press the ball, especially with Pogba coming on the field soon. We have to remember, we actually just saw Steven Bergwijn just before that put Spurs ahead with a wonderful strike. We have to make that point. But he says, you need to measure the risk. Don't attract the pressure. There's a lot of space to counter-attack them and kill them. And what Lee's quite fascinating about this team talk is that everything he predicted about Paul Pogba is exactly... What happened? Carbon ridic- copy. You couldn't ridiculous. make it up, could you? You could not make uh, it up. You literally, I mean, that that for me is so impressive from from Jose Mourinho. He li- look, you could say obviously he had them players uh, for for a couple of seasons or whatever at Manchester United, and he did. But he literally, like you said, you couldn't make it up. He predicted exactly what was going to happen, and that that's I think my frustration with the players. Whereby again, come back to Chris's point earlier: is it that they're not listening, or is it that they can't carry out the the action or the instruction that's given, because he clearly told them what was going to happen. Don't get it. Don't do it, because this is what's going to happen. And they blatantly went out and did it. And that's exactly what happened. And, and you know, Eric Dyer gives away a clumsy penalty. I know in the second half, we were we were sitting back and it felt like a Jose parking the bus. Although, you know, we didn't see on the Amazon documentary at all him telling them about parking buses. But it did feel like that. We were getting a bit battered, weren't we, in the second half. But he was talking about the spaces going exploited in behind and so on and so forth. Uh, what you know, watch Pogba's passing. He's going to do this. They're definitely going to bring him on. This is the area he's going to play. It's exactly what happened. And I think you know that it was a real shame because I remember doing a, a podcast with, with, with you boys just before this game and a, and a preview. And I, and I said this is a must-win game because you know I, I'm I'm the sort of person that looks at it from a mentality perspective. It's all about momentum, all about confidence. You're right, Chris, uh, when Chris said earlier the break was good for us in a kind of strange way because we got all our players back fit and we could almost press the reset button. Jose has had a bit of a pre-season, if you like, and we could start again. And, you know, our points return, which I'm sure we'll get into in the next episode, our points return was actually very good um, over, over, the, over the, the, nine, the nine games. But that game, again, epitomised the amount of hard work that is still there for Tottenham to give away that, you know, look, we were getting battered, but we defended well. You know, sometimes you've got to get... I know we, us modern football fans now, with modern football, we don't want to see defending. But defending is an art. 
And sometimes it's nice to see, you know, I, I was massively impressed under Pochettino when we went to Dortmund uh, in the second leg and we won 1-0 in that defending that we did. I was proud that our team could actually defend like that. And, and you know, we were defending well against United and then clumsy penalty and it was one all. So it's, it sums up, uh, um, you know, episode eight is really summed up by still making the same bloody mistakes that we always make. And that, for me, is a feeling that we've got to eradicate. Totally. Well, there you go, guys. That was episode eight. We are somehow miraculously going to be going on to episode nine after this break. We've achieved it. We are halfway through, even a bit over halfway. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this break, and episode nine is coming your way. Hello. Welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. We are here bringing you with episode nine, the final episode of the Amazon All or Nothing documentary in what was a crazy, crazy time as episode nine takes us into the briefing with Spurs' next game against West Ham United. Chris Mourinho says we want to keep the same principles, but we need to do it 20 metres more in front. Everybody bring it up. Eight matches to play. There is still a position of Europa League to play for. If we can't finish fifth, there is still much to play for. We see Mourinho says the squad is changing, taking more responsibility. The players then made their way to the stadium ahead of the game against West Ham. And Mourinho tells the players to change the tempo during the first half as it's too flat. This is shit. And he addresses his team by saying, if any of you feel a little fatigue, you had two days rest, they had three days rest. If you need a little bit of pressure to be better, I give you honest a bit of pressure. If you don't win the game, it's over. Forget it. Fourth, forget fifth. Our ambition is over. You have to give more. You must give more. Our biggest problem is one, more shit passes. Effing sloppy. Effing slow. Effing back pass. When the pass should be in front. The second thing is your intensity. Your responsibility and your mentality is awful. Spurs do go on to win the game 2-0. But Chris, I mean, this was probably up there as one of the worst ever London derby wins I've ever seen in my life. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. One thing that is very evident that Jose Mourinho is always demanding the very, very best out of his players. And uh, so many times during this documentary that has, has been great for me is that Jose Mourinho is saying in the dressing room what a lot of us fans are saying um, in the stadiums or at home. So, you Spot know, it's on. great to see. Spot it's on. really, really good to see. Um, but Jose Mourinho obviously put it into the players' minds about Europa League because... We all said when we previewed the Manchester United game back in, uh, when, we, when was it now? Um, June, um, when we played that game. Um, we all said that we needed to win that Manchester United game to reach top four. Of course, we got the 1-1 draw. Jose Mourinho looked at the fixtures. He, he obviously thought that it might be very difficult to get the top four place. So he wanted to put in the players' minds that the Europa League place could be on. And then he said, you know, if we play in it, we can win it. And I thought that was a great thing to say because, you know, he's been there twice. He's won the Europa League twice, put it into the players' minds that they can be winning a trophy next season. But we just need to get across that line and get that Europa League place. Um, but everything that he said in in that in that team talk to the players, I absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, I, I'll say it again. I, I'm absolutely loving a lot of the team talks from Jose Mourinho. It's just a question now of whether the players take it on board, listen to him 100%. And do exactly what he asks. Now, coming round to you, Jace. Our favourite player, our favourite subject, Tungi Undumbele, features heavily now in this next part of the documentary with Sergio Ria and Sissoko, who form a close friendship with Undumbele. As he opens up about his difficulty at Spurs, 
They're seen together in a garden with Sissoko and, like I say, Aurea there with him quizzing him on the young Frenchman's first season. And Undumbele says in French, it's been complicated. I was injured a lot. It's been a season of adaptation, but it's been okay. You guys have been there to help me. It's complicated when you change country. I left France. I left my family to come here. That's not easy when you change environment. The training, it's a change in intensity and even the matches. You have to adapt to a new life and it hasn't been easy, but that's how it is. And Sissoko then explained to Ondombele how he turned around his own career at Spurs. And Aurea then says, you have to give everything in training. It's about waiting for your moment. And, you know, we do see at that point then the manager is making some choices and Undumbelli says it's difficult to accept for him that he's not in the team. And then Sissoko jokes and says to him, look, we have to believe in you. You're going to win the Champions League for us next season or in, in seasons coming up. What's your thoughts, Jace, on that exchange before we go right into the actual meeting with Daniel Levy and Tungi? The whole thing starts where, where Ali Gold asks Jose and, and doesn't he say that, uh, you know, Undumbelli wasn't even warming up. And I think that's... If I remember rightly, that's that's the start of it, and you just see, you know, the the adaptation has obviously been incredibly difficult. But my feeling was that have, has he really tried to to integrate? Has he really tried to adapt? And you know, the scene with Sissoko and Oria is, you know, I feel that's a an, it's an Amazon created scene, or maybe they would have had that conversation, but it's it's noticeable. It's not in the in the uh, in any of the team rooms or anything like that, isn't it? So it's pretty obvious why the cameras are there to record that meeting, and so that's that's a, a strange scenario for for that conversation to be taking place. But when you hear Sissoko, you have to work harder in training, and you know we we keep saying that Jose should give him a chance, and Jose should give him a chance. But if he's if the two people that are closest to him are saying you have to work harder in training, it's not a Jose Mourinho problem, is it? And you know, I'll defend Jose Mourinho a hell of a lot on the, the Ndombele thing. And the sad thing is, you know, I mean, you, you tweet yesterday, Rick, about, let you know, keep the hate going. I don't hate Ndombele. I just, I haven't seen enough of him to hate him. And, and you know, we're going to Plovdiv tomorrow. And yet again, he's not fit. How can he not be yeah, but hold on. fit? He's not the fit in Mourinho's, in, Mourinho, in Mourinho's mind. He's not fit. He's not Mourinho match fit, Jace. He's not Mourinho but, match fit. No. <laughs> Well, no, do you agree with me on this? He's not Mourinho match fit. Agree or I not? I don't think he's fit enough. I don't think league team right now. Mm. I don't think Mourinho wants a level of fitness twice as much as Pochettino did. I don't think he wants it twice as much as Slavon Bilic did. I just did. think we spent sixty million on this guy. Are we just going to give up just like that? Sixty million pounds. They want a player fit to play ninety minutes mm. flat out. But sixty million pounds, and you just want to give up on him just like that? Sixty million, six zero, no, not sixteen, want, six zero. No, the option is let's play him every game. Let's not win the trophies. Let's finish fifteenth and say <laughs> yippee, we've given him a year. I'm not saying we that, can't but... afford to carry players in key positions. Are we? But are we just saying them? Are we not going to give him that, that time to adapt? Because if you remember, Jace Hummin Son, Sonny was going after that first season. He wanted to leave the club, if we can remember, and you know. It was only by the but grace of... Pochett- he was putting an effort in, wasn't he? What I would do with him, Rick, is mm. Leighton Orient. In, when is Leighton Orient? Next, next week, next week. Whatever. Yep, next I week. I would say, I would play Ndombele and say, you are getting 90 minutes against Leighton Orient. And I want you to play 90 minutes. Not be puffing after 22, but to play 90 minutes. And if you play 90 minutes at an intensity that 
that I feel at certainly 70 minutes at a really good intensity, I might well play you in the next round of the Carabao Cup. And when I can trust you to play 90 minutes against late Lorient, then maybe I'll give you 60, 70 minutes in a Premier League game. But if you can't give me 70, 80 minutes against Leighton Orient, how the hell do you expect me to play you in a Premier League game? As simple as that, it's up to the player to show he can cope with it. And until he does, I'm not picking him for a Premier League game. The talent is there. He came on Saturday, played, you said, he played forward passes. He lost the ball three times and they just watched players run past him. It's not good enough. It's, we've got to have more from players. Mm. And when you get the intensity and the desire, the ability he's got will take over from it and we'll see the player we want him to be. But he has to give the desire and attitude and the options in training himself. The one thing with Tongyon Dombele that gets me is the fact that when he walks into a stadium, you feel as a fan that he doesn't actually want to be there. Yeah. And is he going to give a 100% club? No, he's not. And he even said in this documentary, I'm not concentrating, I'm not at 100%. He even admitted that himself. Now, when I think of Tonkyon Dombele, our record signing last summer, Brighton away, under Pochettino, taken off at half-time. He was absolutely woeful. Norwich FA Cup, the penalties. Where was he? Where was our record signing when we need a player to step up and take a penalty? Burnley away, taken off at half-time, under a different manager, Jose Mourinho. Chelsea away, one of the biggest games of the season. One of the games that could have been pushing us into the top four. When I was at that game, I saw um, one of our defenders just about to give the ball to Tongyon Dombele. Tongyon Dombele looked at one of our defenders and waved it to someone else. Didn't even want the ball. Now, these are things These are things that I've picked out very, very quickly as you and uh, Jason have been talking. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of points throughout the last 12 months about Tongyon Dombele. And yes, we've seen very small glimpses of genius from him. But at the end of the day, you want a midfielder, your record signing, to be playing 90 minutes of football. And most importantly, you want him to be giving 100%, not 20%, not 30%, 100% every single game. And that is really, really not there. And it's very clear and evident that he has really struggled for those 12 months. Even when he went into that room with the player liaison officer, his body language was absolutely awful. And that's with our chairman, Daniel Levy. For me, I think that Tottenham probably do need to cash in on him and, uh, and sell him. And so Jose Mourinho can go out and buy some players, um, you know, because we haven't got time to waste. We want trophies in the cabinet as soon as possible. So if Jose Mourinho can get some money in and go out and buy the players who are going to give the manager 100% every week. Lee, coming around to you, let's discuss, as Chris mentions there, that meeting of the minds, because we do see Undumbele being called into a meeting towards the end of the season with his chairman, who had just held a meeting with Jose Mourinho. Now, Undumbele, as Chris said, he's actually accompanied by Roberto Balbontin, who is one of the Spurs player liaison officers for the meeting, and he translates between the two the situation. A sulky Undumbele, aided by this player liaison officer, complains to Levy that he is more absent from the team than when he's actually in it. And he says, for three months, I have trained hard. Undumbele goes on to say, everybody says I trained well, but if I don't play, it means there must be something else. Daniel Levy then emphasises to him... Many players in their first season coming from overseas find it difficult. It's normal. Musa, who obviously you know him very well, he came to Tottenham and was very disappointing. But I said to him, look, I know you're a better player than you're showing, 
but you have to decide what's in your head. The nice thing about Musa is that he's an absolute fighter and he was not prepared to leave the football club. Undombele goes on at the end of that meeting to say, I'm not concentrating, as Chris says he says here, as I should be. I'm not 100%. The Spurs chief responds by recounting a take from his school days, which he provided a wake-up moment in his life. And he says, when I was at school, I was 16 at a parents' evening. The head teacher told my parents I should leave school. He remembers and says, the next day I said to myself that I'm not going to be beaten. And from that moment onwards, I got an A's in my exam and I went to university. I am a fighter. And then Levy tells on Dumbele through the representative and the interpreter, we the club, we both believe he has the talent, i.e. him and Mourinho. He just simply has to unlock it and only he can turn it around. And Lee, tell me your thoughts on this because I thought Ndombele looked really perplexed. And we know, we don't really hear from him the fact that he's going to knuckle down, he's going to work hard. And all in all, it I seems think, like a really yeah. unsatisfactory addressing of an issue that has been swept under the carpet for the first eight episodes. Are you surprised that it only comes to light in episode eight? Maybe not. Again, that's probably power of editing as well. Um, you know, in terms of the timeline, you don't really, it's not really, t- you don't really know when that timeline is. It's in its in episode nine, but that could have happened in episode two, um, if, if that makes sense. There was no like, kind of, you know, time or date stamp on it to actually say, oh, it's happening at this point. So I'm not, I'm not that, I'm, I'm not uh, that surprised. I think that, you know, in terms of the body language, Indombele uh, has a style about him. It's a kind of a language style, like a, um, you know, like a, almost like a very laid back style. Um, he wears his snood on his head um, all of the time, um, you know, regardless if it's 50 degrees, you know, f- uh, f- uh, you know, 50 degrees outside or 100 Fahrenheit, whatever, whatever it is, he, he still wears a snood. And uh, m- maybe that's his barrier. M- maybe he-, he puts it on to hide. Maybe he's quite a, a, in, um, uh, a, a, inside of himself. Do you know what I mean? He's not an extrovert. He's an introvert. He, d- he doesn't like, he doesn't like to be kind of out there and, you know, again, uh, the passionate defences from from Jason and, and Chris. You can't really argue with that. You know, uh, you know at, at all. You know, you can argue about giving them another chance because there is talent there. But you know, maybe it is just his price tag. You know, it's, it's not the first time it's happened in football where people go for big, big money and they can't live up to the price tag, or you know, it's a burden, uh, you know, a weight around their neck. But may, maybe it's something to do with that as well as moving country and all that sort of stuff as well. You've got to remember as well, the guy's 23. I think when he joined, he was 22. So he's, a, he's only a young guy as well. So I, I think you've got to put all of them factors in. But the bit that, 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 that I have to highlight in the Daniel Levy uh, interview with the player liaison officer um, is that there's only one person in that room that knows if, they are gonna, uh, if, if they're going to make a difference. And it, it has to be Ndombele. You know, the only person, and I, and I make Daniel right here and I make the liaison officer right here and everyone that said it, the only person that's going to turn it around is Tungo Ndombele. So he has to decide in his mind if he's going to turn it around. And, and, and it has to be Henrik because no, everyone else, it, does, it doesn't feel like, at certain times it felt like Jose Mourinho was kind of digging him out. But, but based on the facts that we now know and, you know, everything that's gone under the bridge already, it, it, it is down to Tungo Ndombele and, and it's up to him to turn it around. I hope he can, he can get his head right to get it turned around you know, get some confidence. I agree with Jace, actually. Play him against Leighton Orient. Give him the 90 minutes. Turn around to him and, and say, you are my man. Go and create, you know, against Leighton Orient and get him a good game. Get some confidence underneath him. You know, get some, uh, you know, some, some, some goals or some assists or you know, run the game. Get a man in the match, something like that. Light a fire. 
under uh, under that big belly, uh, as uh, as Jason would say. But the point, but the point being for me is that we've been here before, haven't we? We've been here before with Vincent Janssen. We've been here before with Roberto Soldado. Soldado. Yeah. We, exactly. We've Lamella been here before with, with with Musa Sissoko. He's a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. He was signing thirty million. But because the price tag is so big, sixty-five million, yep. you know, maybe maybe that's that's hanging around his neck. Look, I, I hope that he can work out, uh, and I think he gives a brilliant option. But it's down to the lad, I'm afraid. Yeah. Come on, Tungard, get, think, get good, mate. I think as well. I think as well. You know, if you look at the whole series, what is Mourinho's message? The whole series, aggressive, be you know, fast, decisive, aggressive. And and you think of even his, his criticisms after Saturday about being lazy. How can you pump that message to a group of 24 players and then pick Ndombele? Because those 24 players would surely all be sitting there thinking, on. hold on, he's the lazy, or he's the one that shows least aggression, least desire Spot in on. the whole club. You're asking, you're demanding we show a lot more, but you're going to pick and give a chance to the person who's showing less than anyone else. What message does it it's send? It's a great point. You know, it's a, you can't it's a great point. Away. And again, you just, you just, no, no one, I, I can't sit, I can't sit here and say no one actually, but I've never met, I can no comment on me. I've never met anybody that is very, very successful that haven't worked their absolute proverbials off. It just, it just doesn't happen. Laziness or uh, a lack of, lack of effort doesn't correlate an equal success. It just does not happen. The, the, very fundamental, basic way to be successful in whatever you do is to work hard, relentless work ethic. And and Dumbele has not got that. He has not got that. And until he's got it, he won't realise his full potential. Can I, can I just say as well that I know, Lee, you said about is it the price tag? Even if a player was a free transfer or even if a player was one million quid, it doesn't matter how much money they, it is cost because every single player, regardless of the cost, should be given 100% for the Tottenham Hotspur badge. And, you know, Undombele has had two managers under Pochettino and under Mourinho. It's been a very similar relationship in the fact that both of them have pulled Undombele off at half time because he's absolutely shattered. How can a professional footballer be in such a, a poor fitness state for so long, you know, during the whole season? You know, waving the ball away in games. You know, I just don't get it. I just do not understand it. As a fan who wants to see the best of uh, a player's ability, I just think it's uh, a real ability wasted um, at the moment. I just, I just hope that he, he turns it around um, and is a huge success at Tottenham or we just patch in on him now because Jose Mourinho in the next section in this documentary said, I am very demanding. I push the players to the limit. Well, Undombele isn't even at 50%. So how can Jose Mourinho be pushing him to the limit? We do sit there and actually say, well, can I just say, we do see the midfielder upon hearing the translation say, I'm a fighter. I've always fought. I'm here today because I fought. I've never given up on football or in life. And Bob Onsen says, you know, like he said, Tungi, about Daniel Levy, it's for you to overcome. The first year is very complicated, my friend. Put a line under it. This is the future. That is the past. And look ahead. And I think Undenbele takes up so much of a section on this documentary, this episode nine, that maybe that's why it waited to that point for us to actually see what was going on. Now, once Undenbele is ushered off the camera, never to be seen again, we return to the Mourinho narrative of positive confrontation. Tension turns towards Sheffield United in Spurs' next Premier League game. 
where one point separates the teams going into that match. And we see in that first half an awful, awful VAR decision go against Tottenham, in which Mourinho tells his players at half-time, you are more intense during the effing training session than you are here. OK, it was a goal. OK, it was a disgrace. OK, it's an effing big disgrace. But the reality is, there's a game here, effing hell. There's a game here to win. And, you know, I, he's absolutely spot on, isn't he, Jase, coming around to you, that that Sheffield United game, as awful as that first half decision was, we just completely fell apart and capitulated. It's hard to know, hard to know what's inside the players' minds then. Maybe it's they're starting to hear the same message too many times and some of them some of them switch off from it. I, it's, it's, it's difficult. I, I feel for him that day because... There's, there's nothing wrong in, in how he's prepared the team for that game and, and to see a performance like we've got, yet again, he's thinking, hold on, and, and if you compare it to the to the time, if you like, the time frame, just before COVID, we've gone to Chelsea needing a win, we've lost. We then have Wolves the following week, in and around us, we've lost. We've then had Man United straight after it, in and around us, we've drawn. We've now got Sheffield United in and around us and we've lost. And, you know, he can see the prize. He... he he can see top four has gone. But do those players, like like I've intimated a few times now, do those players actually now hurt enough when they get beaten? Does does it really hurt? Is is that as a group? I'm sure, you know, individually they are. But as a group, is there enough fight as a group when things are going wrong to lift it? Which is, you know, one of the things I've said about 17 players. It's a whole group that I feel. There's no one individual more than anyone else. Eric Dyer, you can see, gets hurt by defeats. I'm sure Harry Kane is hurt by defeats. Lucas Moura looks sad at defeats. But is there the desire to really put performances right? Or, because of the lack of confidence and belief, do heads just drop and they think, here we go again? And and that's the impression that, that by then you kind of get from them. And and, and I feel like it doesn't really matter then what Mourinho's saying to them. It's it, it's not in them. It, it, you know, and I said it a long time ago. I, I first noticed that in that group, in that awful game in PSV when we drew 2-2. And I remember we did the Love Sports show and I said, I've had enough of this group. And from that moment on, I thought, it's it's gone, this group. And, and I'm amazed we got to a Champions League final with it. But we saw more and more poor performances ever since that day. And and Sheffield United was just systematic for everything that's wrong at that football club at the moment. And, and you know, I'll speak up for him here. I, I, you know my disdain and dislike for him as a person. But the mess that that club is in at that stage is not of Jose Marino's doing. He's in the club because it's gone wrong and it was a mess before he walked in the door. And he's just not been able to fix the mess. But the mess isn't because of him. And I, and I you know... I, I'm quite happy to say that. I don't blame him now for what's going wrong. And, and the Everton game again, I don't blame him for everything that's going wrong. But you can see that group is broken. And Sheffield United was yet another example of it where we turn in a rancid performance. Mourinho is sat in his office with one of his Spurs coaching staff telling him that game was really bad. That attitude was really bad. And footage, albeit at a distance, is shown of a feisty 11 v 11 training match organised by Mourinho and just when we thought, you know, the Delhi versus Dyer debate, or should I say the Delhi versus Dyer argument was enough, we then see another player scrapped. And it's clear that days following that Sheffield United defeat that the squad is far from happy. We see Lucas Moura and Sergio shown in a scuffle in training after Dyer made a very heavy challenge on Hummin Son. And Moura tells Aria, every day you speak a lot, 
causing a huge scuffle between all of the players. And then we are shown Spurs assistants trying to, you know, in a way, stop the exchange. You know, it just feels at this point, Mourinho is losing all control of this squad. And the infighting tells you just the amount of problems that there are behind the scenes. There is a lot of anger. And uh, I think that that's why, as I said earlier, Jose Mourinho is now shuffling the pack, getting rid of some players, bringing some players in. Um, but it must have been a very frustrating time this, you know, after losing at Sheffield United away because it was such a, a poor display. Defensively, it was so poor. I remember saying after that game, you know, thinking that we've been working very hard with the players on the training pitch, but defensively, we were just so poor. Um, he has been constantly questioning the players, um, you know, what they what they're standing for, what they're going for, you know, their ability. Um, it was frustrating. And uh, Eric Dyer um, going in on Sonny, you know, Jose Mourinho saying that they want him to be stronger, you know, stronger mentality as well. He's gone in on a hard challenge for him, whether it was the right thing to do or not. Um, I'm not so sure. Um, but Jose Mourinho is demanding these things, you know, as we've seen through the episodes. So it is coming into play a little bit more. We are seeing um, it implemented a little bit more every episode we're watching. Um, so I think that, you know, that's probably what we should expect. And that's probably what Jose Mourinho should expect, because uh, that was that was exactly what was happening. Yep. And then we see a tension turning towards Everton. And fans will, of course, remember the incident between Hugo Lloris and Son in the 1-0 win over them, which was picked up by the Sky Sports cameras at the time. But fans at that time, didn't discover, you know, the ending in terms of what and how the boiling over in the dressing room and to the degree of it, so much so that Aurea is forced to break up the pair and Mourinho again admitting that he enjoys seeing the confrontation on the field. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, Jace, you know, for me looking at that, I felt really uncomfortable. Listen, I want our players to, you know, want the result. I want them to obviously feel that they need to get the result. But I don't know, whilst I, I love seeing that passion, to overball like that. I mean, how did you feel about that? Because this was at a point where we could see there was a lot of infighting in that changing room. One thing that we did get context from on the programme, maybe, is that that Sonny has obviously gone into that Everton game already a bit fed up and down in the dumps because of the incident with Eric Dyer the day before. And, and you know, the, the bit that kind of... The, the bit I was uneasy with is that Mourinho was obviously happy that training session took place. And... You know, you saw him in the, one of the earlier episodes saying Dyer's the only one that, that feels it. And so, you know, I'm astonished every time people complain that Dyer is in the team sheet now because if you ever knew that why Dyer's in the team, you, you get it, the almost every single episode gives you the answer of why Mourinho wants him in the team because he's the one that feels what Mourinho wants the team to feel. So it's not surprising he's got a new contract. But... But, you know, so Sonny goes into that. And then in that treatment room, Jose kind of makes it, you know, when Eric Dyer comes in and speaks to Sonny and that's, that's a bit uneasy, which you kind of, you know, we've all been had to go in and say sorry to somebody. And it, and it can be uh, it can be a, a difficult thing to do, can't it? You, you, you kind of feel like a little kid doing it sometimes. But the way Mourinho laughed at Sonny and said, oh, just put, you know, take the picture and put it on Instagram was was a little bit dismissive of, of Sonny's feelings. And so, you know, Sonny takes that into the Everton game. So, you know, where we're used to seeing Sonny with such that smile on his face, he's, he's a little bit down in the dumps himself now. And and, and so it, it wasn't a surprise to see perhaps now you can understand why why Sonny reacted as he did. But 
we hear from players at every club, ex-players, things like that. We, I mean, I think you did a, a podcast lately when you, you talked about Robbie Keane having the fight with, with Edgar Davids. We know these things go on at some stage during the, the course of us and highly competitive people, these bust-ups happen and they happen at, at pretty much every club. So whilst, whilst you're uncomfortable seeing it, I think you're foolish if you if you don't if you don't think that it goes on. And, and the good thing is that you know, as much as we're uncomfortable watching it, how many times have we said you know Hugo's too quiet, and and then you you kind of see Hugo in a different light. So no, I, I, I am pleased I saw the scene, but I, it is good to see what happened before that game to to really add a little bit of context to the incident itself. But Hugo was right, wasn't he? You know, Mourinho is on and on and on. And they've watched that video after the Chelsea thing of players not chasing back, being lazy. And then Sonny switches off and, and doesn't do what he's asked to do. And I can sit here all along and say, I, I don't want to see Sonny chasing back. I don't want to, I want us to play on the front foot. But Mourinho is the manager. And in the back of the manager thing, you have to do what your manager wants you to do. It's as simple as that. In all walks of life, we have to do it. Every single job has to do what their manager wants them to do. Otherwise, it's it's ship out time, isn't it? So when somebody doesn't do it, they are going to get a bollocking. And, and that's the way of the world in every single walk of life. You then see Sonny say if he's on the pitch, he'll do everything possible to try and win. The team is more than family. Davis admits the players have to take pride in scrapping and winning difficult games. And he stresses all Mourinho wants them to be is winners. We then see Spurs draw 0-0 against Bournemouth. And next up for Spurs is the North London derby against Arsenal. And Ledley King emphasises how much this fixture means to the fans. Mourinho briefs his players before the game and explains the importance of beating Arsenal and the need to fight. He says, stay with the game, feel the right moment to go. We need to feel the force of the run, attack the space, force the mistake. Every time we pass the ball, push forward. We have to defend with all our focus. The game is there to win. We do see Toby Alderweireld head home the winner for Spurs in that North London derby. But I've got to ask you, Chris, was you surprised by how little was shown of the reaction of that Bournemouth game? Because that was a really another low point in Tottenham season where I would have been interested to see the reaction in that changing room of just the manner of that result. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love seeing the Arsenal you know, reaction and obviously the, the, same, sorry, the, um, the dressing room celebrations. But I would have been intrigued to see what the Bournemouth reaction was like, Chris. It almost was like that was never happening. I was about to say, I thought you glossed over it like Amazon did. <laughs> um, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I would love to have seen Jose Mourinho and certainly the players talk about Tottenham not having a single shot on target in 102 minutes of football against Bournemouth away. Um, I remember all of us Tottenham fans, whoever supports Tottenham around the world, Every single one of us was extremely down after that game. It was a dismal, awful, awful display. I remember a lot of people talking about Jose Mourinho saying we want Jose Mourinho out because, uh, you know, this is just absolutely awful football, um, which it was. And uh, during this Amazon documentary, you know, it, it does seem, certainly these last three episodes, it does seem that, it's been very cleverly edited and it and it seems like a very successful season um, in the way it's been edited. But there there were so many low points, as you've just said, it was yet another low point of the 1920 season. Um, but going into that Arsenal game, we all knew that 
you know, we didn't care how we won it. We just needed those three points. And uh, I'm just so glad that we got the three points. It was a Jose Mourinho masterclass. Of course, all the thoughts and all of the, the comments about Jose Mourinho uh, in the previous game against Bournemouth were all forgotten. Um, because let's face it, when you, when you beat your North London rivals, um, it is the best feeling in the world. It really is indeed. And Jay's coming round to you. And tension then turns to Jaffet Tanganga signing a new deal at Spurs with his proud father alongside him. His dad admits that Arsenal were interested in signing him. He said that Arsenal wanted him. He then scored two goals and straight away Spurs gave him the contract to sign. Later, after the return of football, Tottenham's technical performance director Steve Hitchens speaks about the summer transfer window and he says, we've got a good group of young players. Hopefully we'll add one or two or maybe even more. It's difficult for fans because they always say we should sign this player, we want to be signing that player. We've been backed in terms of transfer funds. We know there's holes, we know there's gaps, and Jose has been very clear. Jose has been very clear of the three or four positions that he wants to improve upon. We work together, always in cohesion with the academy, with Jose, with Daniel, a long term plan. I think that the difference between us and other clubs is we've always got to look further down the line rather than today. What's your reaction, Jay, to seeing Steve Hitchin? And how do you think he comes across in this documentary? <laughs> I think Steve Hitchin likes the transfer window even less than I do, doesn't he? It's, uh, when, you have, when you have the man in charge of transfers say he doesn't like the transfer window, it's, uh, it's a funny line. He even looks like you. I'm sure he had more air than me. He's got two airs. I'm sure he did. But, I mean... No, it, it, it's all right saying that all those plans are in place. And, and I'm sure that those plans, I'm sure that they it is a cohesive plan that they have, but they don't carry out the plan. That's that's the problem, isn't it? It's all right saying, that, you know, it, it's it's like when you buy your flat pack from Ikea, isn't it? All the instructions are in there, but, but when you actually try and implement them, it never works. You, you know, you're suddenly missing a couple of screws or nuts, aren't you? And, and that's how I feel the... The transfer window, we, we set up properly. Yeah, this should happen, that should happen. But but somewhere, and someone, and let's be honest, we, we probably know who, there's always someone that throws a spanner in the works that stops those plans going ahead. Um, and, and that's the problem with it. And I, I, I don't think if you change Steve Hitchin, you get any different because we've heard from people like Damian Kamboli and that, that and Franco Baldini, that the same things have happened with them. And we know from Paul Mitchell, you know, with with him saying or with him intimating that everyone that came up was was turned down. So, you know, it's uh, that's the problem with the transfer window that it, it's all right making the plans, but you have to then have the the desire and the funds and things available to put those plans into action. And for whatever reason, sometimes I'm sure it's 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 Daniel's fault, and other times it may well be that the, the particular player doesn't want to come and things. It's it's, And I understand what he's saying. It's difficult to sign players, but every other club manages to do it. It seems to be a lot easier than what we do. And, and my, my kind of feeling is, I suppose, on it is, is there more boxes that Tottenham want ticked for a transfer to happen? You know, when, when a club, if, if it does a, a as a wish list of what do we want this player to be? And if they come up with, I don't know, nine qualities and, and the player matches six, do they think, I tell you what, we'll sign him. Six out of nine qualities is enough. Whereas perhaps Tottenham want nine out of nine and therefore you limit your choices because there's very few players that will tick every single box that you want ticked. It's very true. That's a, it's a great point to make. It is a great point to make. And then we see the players and find out Cass have overturned Man City's European ban. 
The decision to overturn the ban means Spurs now have to finish sixth to secure European football. We have to win all three matches to get Europa League. And Mourinho again enforces that point of the player saying we have to win them all. Spurs go to Newcastle. Harry Kane reaches another milestone of 200 goals, which he surpasses. And then Harry and his wife, Kate Goodland, announce they're having a baby boy in their gender reveal. Kane carries the ball to the penalty spot before striking it into a large inflatable ball, which is hanging in the centre of the goal. And then an eruption of blue smoke. And then the burst and the cries of we're having a baby boy. Attention turns towards Leicester City, as I mentioned before the break, in which the players are described beforehand as a final in a game in which Spurs go on to win 3-0. I mean, tell us, Chris, the magnitude of that game for me was overshadowed by maybe the second half performance in which Spurs fans, some of them weren't happy about the style in how we played. What was your thoughts on that win? Well, the style has completely changed under new manager Jose Mourinho. But going into this game, um, you know, obviously we just beat um, Arsenal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium 2-1, Newcastle away 3-1. The mood was high. Um, Jose Mourinho said to the players before the game, you know, know your jobs, know what you're doing, you know, be focused. You know, it was a good 3-0 win against Leicester. Leicester had a number of uh, key players out for them. Um the thing that got me, and even though we won 3-0 and I was an extremely happy Tottenham fan that day, is um, is the style. Because, of course, we we as Tottenham fans are known for our style. That's why a lot of us support Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, because we're known for a particular style of football. Um, you know, we, we were playing counter-attack football. It was typical Jose Mourinho. Um, it was a good three points, but the possession um, in some of these games is very, very low. I know um, there's that whole debate of, you know, why care about possession when you win in a game 3-0? But it is about the style. A lot of fans were getting on uh, Jose Mourinho's back that day about the particular style in the second half. But I think the Jose Mourinho style now is that you want to win games very early on. You know, going into the Europa League, um, you know, this week um, against Plovdiv. You know, I've no doubt that he'll Terry Kane. He'll want us to score um, a very early goal just to get the job done. And it seems that in games, he wants to score early goals, get the job done, and then just shut down the game. And we have, we all, you know, all three of us have said about um, the management of Maurizio Pochettino before, where we've gone, you know, one up in games, and sometimes you just need to turn the game off and just you know, shut it down and win the match and get us over that line. And at the end of the day, Jose Mourinho is a serial winner. So, you know, he's done that in that. <laughs> Jason's favourite line, there it is. <laughs> oh, gee, I thought we've finally gone an episode without hearing that line. Is, is Carlo Ancelotti a serial winner? He is. He is indeed. He is indeed. Is Pep a serial winner? Yeah, he is. He is indeed. Is Klopp a serial winner? Yeah, he is. So we've got four serial winners for three trophies this year. So some serial winner ain't winning something. Well, there you go. That's the nature of football. I mean, Jace, coming round to you, we do see Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho then do the their skywalk together. Mourinho jokes that Daniel may have to tell the team for Sunday if he doesn't come back. Daniel believes finishing in the Europa League, taking everything into account, will be a good place to end up. And Mourinho jokes it would be a good place to actually take agents to negotiate on that skywalk. And Mourinho tells the players ahead of Crystal Palace, our final game, you are working for 12 months since July. It's effing impossible you don't do this now in referencing of qualifying for the Europa League. Mourinho tells his players at half-time, we are defending quite well, but we need to control the game. We need to be more consistent. If the league finished now, we are sixth, but we need to win the game. 
He says, I'm quite a sport coach because my career was always about winning trophies, winning trophies, winning trophies. I would never have imagined myself at the end of the season to be celebrating finishing sixth. But to arrive 14th, to finish sixth, is a good achievement. Jace, that game against Palace, I know you wasn't happy. I wasn't happy in terms of how we allowed that game to get away from us against the Crystal Palace side that I think before that had lost seven games in a row. Just sum up how you felt, Jace, because Mourinho did say that once he knew the result at Chelsea, he automatically told his players to take their foot off the gas. And it almost backfired on us, didn't it? Because, uh, you know, and that's a prime example of what I mean. Palace that day, it's not just... We go into Crystal Palace that day with nine straight wins against Crystal Palace. We go into Crystal Palace with eight of those nine wins with a clean sheet. We suddenly go to Palace that day with no Van Aanholt, no Wald, no Sacco, no Cahill, no Milivojevic. All their key defensive players all missing from the game. Palace are ripe to be ripped to pieces. We start the game. We go at Palace. We're a goal up in, what, 15 minutes with a couple of chances, ripping Palace apart. This is such an easy game. And then, for some reason, we are petrified of a poor Palace team catching us on the counter-attack. So we sit deep, and what happens? We concede a goal. Palace away was a game that... Were, and Palace, I think, after the restart, were, what, seven or eight games they lost. I mean, they were, they were just cannon fodder for a proper side. And because of that way of sitting back, we invite the pressure ourselves. Palace can see... Uh, Palace score, and... Do you remember there was that massive chance, wasn't there, for one of their centre-halves who headed wide of the post in, a, in about the 89th minute? If that goes in, we're not in Europe. And we're not in Europe on that day because of sitting backwards instead of going forward. You know, and, and it, that's what I mean. I, I can understand what, you know, the Leicester game. If we're 1-0 up away to Manchester City, I can understand you have to be a little bit pragmatic. But when you're playing teams like Palace and you're 3-0 up at home to Leicester, who have no Iheanacho, no Madison, no Chilwell, no Ricardo Pereira, no Sionchu, these teams are being ripped apart because they're poor sides now. There's no need to sit back and wait like we did in those games and wait like we did against Norwich. And let's be honest, of those three games, we only won one of them. So it, it clearly isn't a great tactic to do that, is it? I just wanted to say that those those matches, the Leicester game and, of course, the Crystal Palace game, Jose Mourinho got the job done. He, he got the job done in in securing us Europa League football. Um, even though it was a 1-1 draw, he knew that we needed a draw um, in that game in the second half and he just wanted to close the game down and get the job done. And I think that that is his typical management style of just getting the job done, getting over the line and getting in the place where we need to be. And ultimately, we got Europa League football. So... He, did, he didn't want to risk losing that game. So a draw was good enough. And, uh, you know, I'm not defending the style at all. I hate the style, you know, a, a number of times during those last nine Premier League games. But it, but Jose Mourinho's management style is just about getting over the line. And that is probably why he's won so many trophies, because he wins in a certain way. Chris, sticking with you, we then see all the players and staff have an end-of-season barbecue. And then Daniel Levy explains that when he took over Spurs is in a much of a, of a different place than it is today. Obviously, the club are a lot more established. He explains that when buying the club, he saw Spurs as a sleeping giant. He says, we are now in a period where we have to win. I am a Spurs fan, and I want to see this club grow, and I want to see trophies. And then we do see Daniel address the coaching staff and players at the barbecue. 
He thanks the players for their hard work that season, both on and off the pitch. He gives a fond farewell to Jan Vertonghen and Michelle Vaughan and presents them both with watches. Vorm explains his season has been a difficult one. He will miss everyone, but says the future is bright. Jan Vertonghen explains how proud he is of the team and how he will never find a group like this again. He explains that he doesn't watch a lot of football, maybe five games a season, but he promises to watch as many Spurs games as he can. And then Levy provides Jan with a picture signed by everyone of Jan in his Super Jan outfit. And I think that's a quite a nice part of the documentary that at one point there, I kind of sat back and thought, I enjoyed seeing that, Chris. I really did. Yeah, it was a wonderful moment. And, uh, you know, with Daniel Levy saying about him as him being a Spurs fan, he wants to see us grow. And now he wants to see trophies. You know, he's, he's whatever someone, you know, whatever Tottenham fans say about Daniel Levy, since he has come to the club, um, he has done some wonderful work. He has put in a, a terrific training ground, you know, excellent training uh, facilities and excellent stadium, you know, which we, we moved into not long ago. Um, and now all of us Tottenham fans just want to see it on the pitch because I bang on about trophies on every show that I do. And, uh, you know, the trophies are just so long overdue. So showing now... Daniel Levy and the ball's intention of bringing someone like Jose Mourinho in. And I know I'm not turning into, you know, Jose Mourinho's number one fan, but given his CV, winning all the trophies that, that he's won, it is very hard to think that Jose Mourinho could come to Tottenham now and we not win anything. Um, and I know this week, you know, in the last uh, 24 hours or so, um, you know, all of the reports and all of the the rumours about Gareth Bale possibly signing. If Daniel Levy got that deal done, then they will be you know, thousands upon thousands of very, very happy Tottenham fans across the world. It would just be an incredible signing. But Tottenham now need to show that real intent of where we want to be because you bring in a serial winner, and I know Jason hates that term, but you bring in a serial winner like Jose Mourinho will give him the tools to go and win the trophies because us fans really do deserve trophies because it is far too long, you know, being without one. 2008, our last trophy, is just a ridiculous the reason I hate the phrase, it's not because I deny that he is, because he is a serial winner. But where the phrase annoys me is that people say we'll win a trophy because he is a serial winner. And you can see in that documentary, having a serial winner in charge doesn't just mean that that automatically fixes all the problems. It doesn't solve all the problems in that team. And so just as Carlo Ancelotti is a serial winner, but probably won't win a trophy at Everton because the team are not good enough and the team isn't full of serial winning players, Tottenham are not good enough and Tottenham are not full of serial winning players. Jose Mourinho in charge of 11 Gareth Bowles, that's a team that can win trophies. Garrett, Jose Mourinho in charge of 11 Moussa Sissokos and Ben Davises is not going to win a trophy, no matter how much of a serial winner that he is. I think you just need to give him time, though, Jace, because obviously he's reshuffling his back. He came into the, the club mid-season. It's always very difficult for a manager to come in mid-season. I think we all need to give him time. And, you know, he got us over that line of getting us to Europa League football. He's played Europa League football twice. He's won the competition twice. You know, we've, we're all praying that he can put a trophy in the bank as soon as possible for us. But ultimately, why would Jose Mourinho come to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club if he didn't believe that we could win trophies and, and, and he didn't believe that he's going to be given the money and the tools to go out and buy the players or get the players in? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, what, why would Daniel Levy bring 
Mourinho in otherwise. You know, the trophies have got to come. And, I, and I'm well, sure they go under him. I quite agree with you. But that's the key, isn't it? He has to be given the tools he wants. And as much as I can't stand him as a, as a style of football person, even I would say you have to back him. And if he comes in and says, I want X, Y and Z, you've got to go and do that. And, and I hope we do do that. I, I, I would openly admit, I think if he'd have had the, the, the team that chased Leicester down, I think we would have won the league. I'm sure in Pochettino's time, we would have won something under Jose Mourinho. I've, I've never denied that. But the style of football will always be the number one thing for me more than more than anything else. And that's why I dislike the man. But I, I don't disrespect him. I have in, in admiration for, for lots of the things he's won. Don't like the way he's won them. But I, that doesn't mean I don't respect him for the job that he's done everywhere else. There's a lot on the documentary series that I agree in everything he said. I mean, how often have I said in previous pods, we lack game craft? How many times did I talk about how we lack game craft? And he is the ultimate game craft manager. So there's, there's a lot of things and abilities he brings to the football club that I do approve of. I'm not completely, I'm, I'm, and through all my dislike of him, not what you know that in the group, I don't talk about I want to see him sacked. I, I don't. I want to see him bring the success because if we, we are going to play rancid football at times, then I hope it works because that's the only justification for it. So, you know, back him over the summer. Hope this We're just starting maybe to see signs that perhaps Daniel's realised I do need to give him a little bit more than, than he's got at the moment. I can't expect a serial winner to, to, to win trophies with, with the team that he's got here. So it does take more. Hopefully he gets it. Hopefully we do win a trophy. I, you know, I'm not anti him winning things at all. We then see Deli Ali explain that the club is the quality of a club that should be in the Champions League. And Sissoko explains it's important to be in Europe and believes the team will win a trophy under Jose Mourinho. How much? We haven't heard that before. He emphasises, Sissoko, we will win the trophy. The show closes by Mourinho saying, I look forward to the beginning of next season. Everything we did together, all these months that we spent together are very, very important for the future. We are ready to go through everything like a strong family. That creates us a good base. But I want better results. I need better results. We have to win a title. And next season is going to be better. Right. That is it. That is the Amazon documentary. Episodes 1 through to 9 here. In what's been an unbelievable chance to review this documentary on The Last Word on Spurs. And very quickly, let's give our quick couple of minutes conclusion to the whole documentary. Let's start with you, Chris. Give us your overall opinion on how it was put together, how it was edited, and how you now feel coming away from watching it. Do you know, I think I'm really going to miss it. There was so much hype about this Amazon documentary, and it's all over in three weeks. And uh, I, I wish that this was an ongoing thing. And I, I wish that Amazon were following Tottenham you know, throughout, because, as I say, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed um, seeing Jose Mourinho's uh, press conferences and um, his team talks in the dressing room. Really impressed with... Harry Kane, um, his leadership, um, not so impressed with uh, a lot of the other players sitting there and not really talking up. Um, that did actually really surprise me. But overall, it was just a really good insight, very um, entertaining, um, gripping at times. And uh, yeah, they glossed over a lot of the negatives, which uh, I suppose I understand, you know, power of the edit, as Lee kept saying, but, um, you know, lots of Lots of negatives, lots of down points, um, you know, throughout the 2019-2020 season. And uh, it just seemed that 
it, it ended, you know, very positively. And uh, Daniel Levy come across very well, which, uh, you know, is, is exactly what he wanted. Jose Mourinho has come across very well in it as well. And I think that it's been a really good advert for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, um, for the Amazon documentary. But um, as I keep saying, and I'm going to close on this, I hope the trophies come very soon. Don't we all, Chris? Don't we all? Jason, let's get your verdict, because obviously you wasn't with us for the episodes one to six. What have you made of the whole documentary? We didn't get you to obviously have the chance to say your mind on Danny Rose and all that. That happened. So much did go on in this documentary. Give us your overall thoughts on how it was put together. I've thoroughly enjoyed the series. It's it's good to see behind the scenes. It's good to see more things than we've we've ever seen before. But the overriding thing for me was I'm disappointed in the series because I didn't see anywhere near as much as I wanted to see. But I I understand and knew, like I said, I wanted to see an entire team talk. I wanted to see an entire tactical briefing. I wanted to see Daniel Levy doing his full negotiations for Steven Bergvine to see just how he does operate. But of course, I know you're never going to see those things. But it, but having seen little snippets, it, it leaves you wanting to see a lot more. And I suppose the other thing we have to to understand about the series is that when when Amazon make it, yes, they know that it's going to be of so much interest to Tottenham fans, but they're also making a, a football series that's got to be of interest to, in their mind to, to football fans. So it's got to be a series that Man United fans want to watch and it's got to be a series that South End United fans want to watch. And, you know, we all watched the Sunderland series in the same way, didn't we? With, with, with that real real desire to see what goes on behind a football club. Some clubs will want to do it for banter reasons, but, you know, I didn't want to see Sunderland's for that. I, it was genuinely of interest to see how a, how a football club operates. So it, it, does, it does tick those boxes. But as I say, I think it, it leaves so much unseen that we'd, we'd have loved to have, have been a, be able to see a lot more. And as I say, I think that the, the most glaring part was, was the build-up to that Chelsea home game and then him walking in the dressing room saying, never mind, we're going in in three days. And I just thought that there is a hell of a lot of, of uh, editing gone on, on on that day. But, but you know, that, that's how it is. But I, I, I haven't, I must admit, I didn't watch the, uh, the All or Nothing with Manchester City, so I can't compare it to the two. But I have watched the, the test, which I think comes from Amazon, doesn't it? It's the same series, but obviously on, on cricket, I've seen the All Blacks one and I've seen the Sunderland one. So... You know, our series compared to those and, and, and overall nine enjoyable episodes. Yeah, I've got to say for me, I've really enjoyed it overall. I think the opportunity to really go behind the scenes, see what happens in those team talks in that changing room with the aftermath of the players. You know, the arguments in a way, it's been great to see that some of these players do care. But what I will say is that it doesn't appear that Mourinho never really recognised the legitimacy of last season's high and lows after he replaced Pochettino in November, in which obviously Spurs were already 11 points adrift of fourth place and out of one domestic cup. I mean... He even refused to acknowledge the Premier League restart as a new beginning, despite benefiting from a fully fit squad and a mini pre-season with his players. You know, I think as a whole, you know, you look at the fact that this summer we've already made business so far with the likes of coming in. We've had, obviously, Matt Doherty. We've had Joe Hart. And, of course, we've also had coming through the door, potentially, at the moment, Gareth Bale, Sergio Regulion also coming in. And, obviously, we had we had Pierre-Emile Hoiber that... It'll be interesting to see just how much difference Spurs do look in six to 12 months' time once, I say, these new players are bedded in 
And yeah, once we see what Mourinho's team is going to be making up of, it'll be interesting to see really um, if we have the same feeling as we have now and just the impact of this documentary. Chris, I mean, we obviously had the pleasure of collaborating with Amazon on this and it's clear that obviously this documentary, it really has enticed a lot of people in the world to see the inner workings of Tottenham and we probably have gained a lot of support out of this documentary. For you, how do you think this documentary will actually impact the club long term? Oh, hugely. I, I've gone to a lot of the American tours and, you know, tours around the world, um, you know, pre-season in recent years. And Tottenham are supported massively, hugely um, across around the world. Um, the most supporters clubs in America, um, you know, Tottenham are, are very well supported around the world. And uh, this would have gone down hugely for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and really put the club on the map. Of course, we were in the Champions League final on the 1st of June 2019. You know, that would have been huge as well. And uh, the, the club is just growing rapidly and certainly with a, a manager like Jose Mourinho as well. Um, you know, the, the club is just growing um, hugely, as I say. Yeah, well, there you have it, guys. Episodes one to nine of the Amazon Review. We hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you ever so much. If you're still listening to the podcast now at this point, you really are a true, true fan. And we absolutely love you for that. We are going to be back with you very soon. Jason, maybe not so much. You'll pop up... For- you know, as and when throughout the season. Thank you as always, Jace. I can't even call you our Danny Rose anymore because Danny obviously is leaving the club. But thanks for um, thanks for everything. We'll catch up with you, Jace, when we catch up with you. Yep, let's uh, let's hope it's under happy circumstances when we next talk, mate. Yep, fingers crossed. The wonderful Chris Calling on the last word on Spurs. Chris, please let people know that don't know already where they can find your content. On YouTube and it's named uh, Tottenham fan Chris Cowling. Fantastic. My thanks to the wonderful Lee McQueen who also joined the last word on Spurs and gave his opinions and review to the Amazon documentary All or Nothing on behalf of the whole team at the last word on Spurs. Thank you for listening. And as always, come on you Spurs! You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. I've never seen someone covered Twitter, Instagram. make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.